for the third gift of infant Christmas an infant gave to me. A rebirthed episode from 2014 called The Christmas Jesus and Stuff. Baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. Dear Lord Baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your Baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Holy infant, so tender. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. Hark the hell angels Your tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled up fist pawing. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? Ricky, finish the damn grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says like, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party, too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. Glory to the newborn king. I like to think of Jesus, like, with giant eagle's wings and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with, like, an angel band. And I'm in the front row, and I'm hammered drunk. Hey, Cal. Why don't you just shut up? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> this is Infants on Thrones. Philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Bob Caswell, and today Glenn, Allison, and I are joined by John Hamer, who, if you don't remember, was on our Nauvoo Polygamy Smackdown episode and some others. By the way, if you haven't heard the Nauvoo Polygamy Smackdown episode, I'd totally check it out. It's one of my favorites. Anyway, for those who don't know, John is also a pastor in the community of Christ Church. And what's even more interesting, to me anyway, is just how little that intro helps in constructing an accurate portrayal of him as compared to what you might assume. Think about it for a second. What are your assumptions when someone tells you they are religious, Christian, and a pastor in a church? Now listen to this episode and let me know how your assumptions line up with what you hear. But I'm getting ahead of myself. John is also a historian and he studied quite a bit about the history of Jesus. So we thought Christmas time would be a great time to explore the historical Jesus and ask the question, did Jesus really exist? And if so, what parts of the Jesus story did exist as compared to, you know, the Jesus we know so well from the New Testament? Now, I should say that we also do get a little sidetracked with the topic of what it means to believe and the baggage associated with being part of an organization that calls itself a religion. 
But don't worry, we bring it back to that adorable baby Jesus and all that Christmas cheer he brings. Or doesn't. So with that, take it away, Glenn. Yeah, right now it's great. So where do you guys want to start the conversation? Because I, I, I did a little bit of research onto this and by research i mean i watched like a a yale lecture on the historical jesus on youtube okay and i took notes but other than that i've never really i've never really thought about it. it's never really been that uh important to me whether or not there was really a jesus based in history i guess i kind of took it as a i just assumed that legends grew up around a historical character and right. you know so at, at the center of all these legends we've got this real historical jesus nugget but i've never really tried to unearth that so that's what we're doing right kind of yeah well the reason the reason why i suggested it was because it's just amazing to me the number of these facebook memes that keep on like every day that uh where people are publishing different articles and you you found one that uh, is from the even the Washington Post, you know, where people are talking about this Jesus as myth theory, mm-hmm. and in a lot of cases, people have decided not just only that there's a Jesus as myth theory out there, but that that is the real reality. And 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 like for example, today, well, actually, almost every day, I have this one where people are like have this this graphic where they show Jesus and Horus and they're pretending that like everything that had that was going on with Horus happened to Jesus and things like anyway it's just something i see on facebook all the time and so it just happens maybe maybe you guys aren't seeing these on facebook maybe there's some reason why they're being brought to my attention well i've not seen them on facebook but i've i know that like that movie Zeitgeist lays out the Horus Jesus thing pretty clearly yeah, and, so and, that, then, and didn't, right. didn't Bill Maher borrow that for religious, and then it turns out that yeah. all that stuff was baloney. You know, it, it yeah. doesn't have a, a legitimate baloney. source behind it. It's baloney. Yeah, <laughs> and and I want to be. I mean, and it, it's not that there's not all kinds of stuff to this question, but um, the, probably my opinion is that the, what we're dealing with in this is like there's just a completely screwed up debate between two pretty extremist positions and so on the one hand there are people who are especially christian um scholars or people who are in scholarly form who are christians who are arguing that the gospels are an a uh, like all historical right and so that every single thing that we have in the new testament is history and and like that'll even get down to like daniel c peterson who i like read some kind of article that he had in the in the Deseret News or something, where he just felt like the New Testament proved that the resurrection happened, <laughs> which is just just insane, yeah. right? you know. I mean, as if that you know, on that side. But then on the other side is that when it, that there's all of these myths and everything like that that can be shown to me myths um, that have come around the who we assume is a historical Jesus or who we might we might assume is a historical Jesus underlying it and that all of these myths mean well if this is a myth and if that's a myth and if that's a myth then people are like well then it must all be myths you know and so I think that those are kind of the two extreme edges of this thing so good yeah, well, yeah. that, that and, helps because I felt like I, I wanted to figure out who was on what team and what people were doing like what's the motivation behind sharing these memes is it just lazy intellectuals is it is it people who are is it atheists is it you know 
maybe maybe it's a it's a broader slice of humanity, but I, I just wonder what the motivation is and why that's happening. If it's like just because you subscribe to one thing, all of a sudden you're prone to falling prey to a bunch of misconceptions, and just because you're not religious, that doesn't mean that it doesn't still happen. Is that kind of what we're talking about? Yeah, I think like the people, everybody has a dog in the fight that are talking about it. You know, it's not anybody that's, I don't know. It doesn't seem to be anybody that's just, they want to talk about it for the sake of history. They want to talk about it because they want to believe or they want to not believe. Right. 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 And so this little debate I got into with somebody who was just all on this Horace thing on Facebook this night, tonight, (laughs) which I shouldn't have done. (laughs) Wow. But anyway, as I was doing that, you know, I'm like, okay, no, Horace's mom was not a virgin. Horace's mom is Isis, and she was married to Osiris. She was not a virgin. You know, anyway, so anyway, I was going through all that, you know, that stuff, which I shouldn't have bothered. But anyway, um, what I would, I guess what I would say on that is, so she said, well, I looked at your profile, and you're a Christian, so obviously I can't believe a single thing that you have to say. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's horrible. (laughs) You know, which, okay, I understand that. So like you say, everybody has a dog dog in the fight, but what I would say on that for myself is that for me, actually, I've already said before that the historical Jesus um, was divine, although that's a normal Christian doctrine, right? And I don't think that the historical Jesus was resurrected in a, in a, some kind of material sense, right? So so I actually don't have in my opinion I don't have a a in that a dog in in the in the fight in terms of the historical Jesus in the, in the exact same way that I will tell you that as a I'm a Christian, but I don't believe that Adam and Eve were real people or that Noah was a real person or that Nephi um, or Moroni or whatever were real people. Job was not a real person. Jonah was not a real person. All these people aren't real people, but it, but that doesn't um, it in, in the exact same way. It wouldn't matter. If there was no historical Jesus to me, it doesn't. That doesn't make any difference. Hmm. Really? So where's the line? You know, theoretically, the Bible from start to finish is you know more in the past and less in the past. By the time you get to toward the second half, right. um, where, where's the line where all of a sudden it becomes less fantasy and more rooted in something that's documented as as ha- having happened? Is it just the the, the Old reign, Testament the to reign the reign of the reign of Hezekiah. Right. Okay. So you've so, had this question words, before. <laughs> no. In another. No. I studied the. I've studied the Bible. So a lot. A lot. So where does it actually? It's not. The Bible is not history at all. The okay. Bible is written. The Old Testament is all written before the invention of history, and all of the Bible is older than what we might consider modern academic history. They don't. None of the people who are writing any of that are attempting to write history. That's not what the Bible is. The Bible is a historical source because it is written in antiquity, but it is actually written over the course of a whole long period of time. It's written by multiple authors, and uh, what we can do, what we can tell about it, is not what necessarily it's saying as history, but rather who, what is the author saying, and what is the author's time period, and what is their audience. And in that case, we can kind of find out about the author and the audience. And in some cases, they are betraying you know, things that they don't even know about, even if they are pretending to be or imagining that they're writing about things that theoretically happened 
thousands of years before what they're writing. Okay, so you're you're talking about the Old Testament now, right? You're talking about the the J sources, the E sources, that that P and D. Sure. That, but but is the that's happening in the Old Testament? It also happens in the New in Testament. The New Testament. So, yeah, okay. absolutely in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, those sources are like I, I was suggesting when I said. The reign of Hezekiah just said it, right? <laughs> so anyway, but what what that is happening is that in that time period, so when we're getting down to the kingdom of Israel is already destroyed, the kingdom of Judah is there. That's when these these J, you know, um, the the J source, the E source, the P source, and uh, and the D source are all getting kind of melded together into what becomes the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses that Moses didn't write. So that that's how that's happening in that pre-exilic period. So that's when history is starting to, we can start to see actual history. If we, you know, if you go before that, there is no unified kingdom of David and Solomon. That's myth. That didn't happen. There is not, there is no, we have no record for any exodus or any of those kind of things. Characters like Abraham or Moses or Jacob or Manasseh, the, those are characters who are um, mythic, and they may be a person, but of the person, all we would know is their act- is their name, right? And then all these myths are ascribed to them. So there's very no- little difference between like an Abraham and Theseus, king of Athens, you know, of who, who killed the Minotaur, right? So mm-hmm. we don't know. Theseus might have been a person, but we don't have any anything about them you know, in real life or anything about actual history for them. But why, why would that be any different than, John, when, when you take the same approach to Jesus and you say there, there may have been a historical Jesus, but all of these stories about him, the beliefs that people have about them now are based on, and I'm going to call it legends instead of myths, but that's just my own little nitpickiness sure. there. Say legend. Yeah, that, that, that there are these legends that grew up around them that, that deify him, the historical Jesus... I mean, you mentioned something earlier that I want to come back to that he was divine. I like I want to know what you mean by that. But but wh- why why wasn't, wasn't the divine. historical? Ab- oh, you said he wasn't, right? Oh, okay. no, I'm saying I'm saying no, I'm saying that the historical Jesus is not divine. That's my feeling. Okay. No, oh, I, I thought I thought earlier you. you said that he was divine, but he wasn't resurrected. No, wasn't oh, divine. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm saying no, no. I'm saying that's where I differ from many Christians who are obsessed with historicity. Right? Okay. So I'm saying that that isn't. That's why I'm trying to suggest to you that with Jesus, I don't have the dog in the in the fight the way that a lot of Christians do. Right, right. What's the difference between Jesus and and Theseus and and Moses? Is is six, seven hundred or a thousand years, and there is a huge difference that we telescope and we don't understand because it's all ancient times to like a random person writing on Facebook. But in fact, there's a big difference between the first century. Um, CE the com- of the Common Era in the Roman Empire, and this ancient time, this time that is at the liminal period when writing is just kind of in, you know when there's not a lot of writing and when they're just first starting to tell stories, much less history. Yeah, and and so I, I guess I guess the question that I meant was what what is what is the difference in perceiving or, or, or the need to have a historical Jesus in in one case and not to have a historical Abraham or Moses. In I don't. Case. I don't. I don't need to have one okay, at all. All right. I'm saying, given the evidence that we have, we can. There, we, the most likely scenario is that there is a historical Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And so, like, so for example, you we pulled you pulled up and we found, you know, like, just even from today, there's a Washington Post article by um, Raphael uh, Lataster 
who is arguing, or he's written a book called There Was No Jesus, There Is No God, which I'm sure is a wonderful way to sell books, right? <laughs> sure, yeah. But even in his, ar- you know, his argument, what does he say in the conclusion of his article? He says, he says, in some, there are clearly good reasons to doubt Jesus' historical existence, if not to think it outright improbable. Right. And so, in some, there's not good reasons to think it outright improbable, but rather there's good reasons that we could doubt his historical existence. That's actually not in question at all. So, what, so what we're doing is, but, he, but that, doesn't, that, that question doesn't lead to the conclusion, there was no Jesus. What that is, is we, do not, we cannot say, uh, you know, based on the evidence that we have, that there's a 100% conclusive the case that there was a historical Jesus. Rather, what we can say is the, um, uh, the evidence that we have overwhelmingly points to a historical Jesus. In other words, we, we would say that the most likely scenario is that there is one, and in fact, people haven't been able to come up with a very good alternate explanation for the, the, the evidence that we actually have. Yeah. That's, that's all I'm saying. And so, what, what, what do I need one? I don't need one. Yeah. I, you know, I'm just saying, given the evidence that we have, that's the most likely scenario. Given the evidence on Abraham that we have, the most likely scenario is that what we're dealing with is a... Um, like a remembered father name thing, you know, where we don't have anything other than legends that are told about. And so it's like Cadmus, the founder of Thebes, or Theseus of, of Athens. In other words, it's one of these one of these mythic Priam of Troy, you know? In yeah. other words, we don't have any actual stories about them. It's just something that people hundreds of years, thousand year la- years later, just had that name, and then they ascribe stories to it. Yeah. So the confusing thing is, is that for me, coming from a Mormon background, and I'm sure others here had a similar upbringing, everything was on the same playing field. There was no sacrament meeting talk or, or gospel doctrine class where we parsed out the differences between the potential for historical characters versus not. Abraham, Moses, Jesus, I, I mean, it right. wasn't until I was halfway out the door of Mormonism that I even knew that there was any chance that those were considered different contexts and, and probabilities of, of actual people existing. Like, And it, it's almost like it's irrelevant, even though it should be super relevant, but it's just easy to put them all together and lump them all together because that's what religion traditionally does, right? Um, so traditionally, we didn't have academic history. So in other words, we we only been able to parse this kind of thing out in the last few hundred years. So this is a new discipline, and in the result of formulating this discipline, that's where we've kind of you know been able to say, okay, two thousand years ago, and in, in in the early Roman Empire, we have this kind of data, and then three thousand years ago, in in this sort of what becomes a legendary or mythic or heroic past where we don't have that kind of data we have to see how these are forming in a different way you know and so but they didn't have any they, of course yeah like you say in the let's say in the year 1300 if that's a traditional time they didn't have that different differing awareness of the past they didn't understand that, uh, frankly that that things were remarkably different in the past than their own times if you look at a medieval manuscript a medieval um um picture that they will draw of Julius Caesar 
Um, he he's wearing full plate armor. He has a a medieval coat of arms, which is of the German emperor, which is the Holy Roman Empire, and he's wearing a an, a medieval German crown, and he looks like a a medieval German emperor because they didn't have any conception about changing time and how things were changing, right? So they did. So yes, they, it, traditionally people weren't aware of this stuff, but yes, we're aware of it now. Right. And at what point do you think? I, I know this is like an unfair, broad based question but at what point will religion embrace the difference between these different time frames instead of just whitewashing it all as like the bible in quotes here you go it's it's wonderful start to finish and maybe that's a caricature that i'm overstating right, but that's, I, fundament, that's fundamentalism so that so yes those fundamentalist religions aren't going to ever change or they will change constantly but they'll you know be continuously going down the rabbit hole that they're around in terms of um when will other religions, when will progressive or enlightened religions or rational religions or anything like that do it? That's who created the Enlightenment. So it, so we're in a situation where in, um, in my church, we, um, the, the, our principles of history are we are encouraged to um, listen to, you know, do all of our research and, and uh, believe what historical research teaches us. So what I'd like to do is maybe take the chronological history of Jesus that we have as told to us in the Gospels and, and look at the things that we're able to see. And I, I mean, especially since it's Christmas time. Uh, yeah, you know, I'd love to talk about the like, Christmas story stuff. What, what, what do we have historical evidence for? What do we not? What was probably the, the legendary motifs that were added on? Or, um, yeah. And, and I, I think maybe even before getting into the Christmas story, because if, if we can establish that there was actually a historical Jesus, I, I still have the question, did people in his time think of him as the Messiah, you know, like in the Monty Python movie, <laughs> Life <laughs> of Brian? you guys yeah that actually if in, in terms of like understanding the historical jesus and actually understanding the relationship with the historical jesus and christianity mm -hmm. there is no better movie yeah. than life of brian yeah life of brian is fantastic yeah. i mean it really really explains the whole thing yeah no tell us boss we were first Ten. It is his gourd. We will carry it for you, Matt. 
master? He's gone. He's been taken up. <gasps> oh, he is So, so, so th- there were these prophecies about a Messiah that would deliver, uh, you know, the, the the Jews out of bondage, and here they were under Roman captivity. So, were they were they looking for a Messiah, and did they think of Jesus as this Messiah, or is this just stuff that was added later on as a way to say, you know, like to prove prophecy or to prove that that Jesus is divine? So, what does the word Messiah mean? Savior, right? No. Oh, dang it. Fail. <laughs> All right, Allison, what does it mean? Um, son. I don't know. Son. Bob. Bob. <laughs> Bob. Oh, no. Uh, it's been too long. Uh, uh, it's not like... Savior or liber- liberator or uh, uh, okay, you guys are all you negative. weren't even listening to the one that I got wrong. Four hundred in jeopardy here. It oh, <laughs> didn't answer in the form of a question. Savior? No, it no, it means anointed, uh, anointed. I knew that. That's boring. And and <laughs> it is it is simply the um, the phrase that's used for king. So a, a king of Judah. So it's a person from the the Davidic royal line. Mm. And the Bible, for example, the Old Testament actually calls Cyrus, you know, the king of Persia, the, the king of kings, the emperor of Persia. In several places, it calls Cyrus a, the Messiah. Mm. So, so, Messiah is definitely something that the people at the time are looking for, because like you point out, they are um, under, and at Jesus's lifetime, they are under Roman rule, but they definitely are not looking for the kind of Messiah that Christians ultimately decide that Jesus was. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And is there precedent for that? Like, why would the solution to anyone's problem be like, you know, I have this dead-end job. What I need is a Messiah to come in and like, I mean, is, wh- what they need where is did a, this what get they constructed need, from? How, how hard is that? What do they need as a king? <laughs> they, need a, they need their king to come back to have their own, you know, particular um, in, independent state again. That's not, that's not un, unheard of, right? And they later do it. So, just a few years, just um, whatever it is, 60, 70 years later, they have the Bar Kokhba revolt where a guy, Bar Kokhba, is, claims to be a descendant of David and he is, uh, you know, and he's the Messiah, and he attempts to create a political kingdom again, you know, for Judeans. And so, that is what they're looking for, for a Messiah. So, what, what Jesus is in terms of Messiah, nobody, most, almost nobody was looking for. Obviously, the people who were Jesus's followers, after he died, they definitely decided, hey, he was the Messiah, you know, but that wasn't that wasn't a lot of people who felt that way, and actually most of the people in Judea did not feel that way. So. Well, let me. Okay, we're jumping out of chronological order here, but I'll just ask the question because one of the things you know, I, I mentioned that I watched a, a Yale lecture on the historical Jesus, and and one of the points that they looked at to say there's evidence that there was a historical Jesus is the name that was nailed to the cross. And why do we think it's historical? Well, for one thing. It comes from at least two independent sources, right? What are the two independent sources that it comes from? It's in all four Gospels, but all four Gospels aren't independent sources, are they? Why? Because we believe that Matthew and Luke used Mark. So if Matthew and Luke copied it from Mark, 
That makes Mark one source. Did the author of John use the Gospel of Mark? Not according to the theory we're using in this class. Some people might say yes. Some scholars might say yes. But in this class, we're going on the theory that the Gospel of John probably didn't use Mark as one of his sources. So you've got the Gospel of John as one source for this. You've got the Gospel of Mark as another source for this. So you have two of what scholars are willing to treat as independent sources, which both have this nice little piece of data, this datum right there. Now, the other thing is that it might be interesting to you know, for you to know, King of the Jews is not a Christological title that early Christians used about Jesus. Remember in the Gospels, we've seen, and, and, and we've seen a lot of different titles for, for Jesus. He's the teacher. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Holy One of Israel, we just saw. He has a lot of things, and these things are obviously things. People, early Christians called him Lord. They called him Son of God. But they didn't call him King of the Jews. It was one of the titles of Jesus that uh, the, apparently the earliest followers of Jesus didn't latch onto. So we don't see it in the, in the uh, letters of Paul, and we don't see it elsewhere in the Gospels. So what scholars have said is, look, this thing, King of the Jews, doesn't look like a Christological confessional title that Christians made up and then put into the gospel. If it had said, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the Lord of heaven and earth, then scholars would say, well, that sounds like a Christian confession. But saying Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, doesn't sound like a Christian confession. So it goes against the tendency of the writers themselves, and we say, well, maybe then it's historical. Maybe it's a little glimpse of history. Well, I, 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 I think that that's probably... I don't know. I, I guess I wouldn't say that that's a pretty good, particularly good piece of evidence for why we think that there's a historical Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, that's in the story, and, and it's a Christian story, though. And so whether or, not, uh, you know, whether or not we can trust that that was actually nailed to the cross or anything like that, actually, I think that we probably can't. Because actually, the, um, uh, all of the... the the passion narratives or later editions. So I, I mean, I don't actually think that that's necessarily a historical detail that we can, we can do you, say do anything you think positive the, about. Do you think that the passion narratives, like all four gospels, um, build from a common source or are there independent sources among those four? There are independent sources among the four. Okay. So, so if, if you, if you have the same piece of evidence that's coming from independent sources, doesn't that make it a stronger, yeah, of course. Probability. Okay. Yeah. So the more the more the more you have multiple attestation in the multiple sources, the more likely you're getting back to something that's historical. I would say that the 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 reason why we're going to say that we have a historical Jesus that just just in short, um, we have a known historical figure who is Paul, mm-hmm. right? And so that's a guy we know him. He's got writings. We have not every single book that's attributed to him in the New Testament is by him, but some of them are. And Paul ex- explains in his own writings that he knew people who knew the historical Jesus, including Jesus' brother, James. Mm. So he knew James, the brother of Jesus, and he knew Peter. So that's pretty close for any figure in antiquity to get back to. So in other words, we got a guy, and he knows a guy <laughs> who, knew, who knew the guy, right? In other words, so that's not that far away in terms of that. So we need then, to change the game from seven, from six degrees of Kevin Bacon to two degrees of that's Jesus just two Christ. Degrees. It's just two degrees. He, he knew the guy's brother. Yeah. Okay, that's right. pretty close. Yeah. And then two, we have, um, like you just pointed out right now, in the four Gospels and then also the other New Testament writings, we have, we have different pictures of, the, of Jesus, 
and they're actually radically different, and they're competing voices that don't agree with each other at all. But when you look through there and you kind of piece through them, and they are betraying parts of an actual historical Jesus that is different than what the author's agenda is in every case. Mm. And so that's another, this, another, another thing that we can say that we can get back to a, another one, an actual historical Jesus. And then finally, um, uh, we have an explanation based on that, that evidence, which is mostly just from the New Testament. That's primarily where our evidence is coming from. Um, from that, we, can, we have an actual explanation of how you can get from a guy to this mythic character. Whereas, if people have this idea of the mythic character, how did we just invent it out of nothing? And so, the, and so in, in the same way that I don't know, like with the Spalding theory, there isn't an, a way to explain all of the evidence in any kind of way where nobody has ever written out the Spalding theory in a positive historical sense where we say, this is how it all worked out. In that exact same way, the mythicists don't have a very good, where they don't have any positive evidence that explains, well, there was this group of people who were myth makers and they were constantly making up these myths and this is, you know, and, and this is where these all came from, you know, mm-hmm. so... That's that's why I would say that we that we that we have a, the the preponderance of our evidence that we do have, which doesn't tell us conclusively that what there was a historical Jesus. It says that the most likely scenario is that there was a historical Jesus. So, okay, um, I have like a super basic question: what, why, why does it matter so much um, in the context of? Why has it gotten? Why has it gotten to this place in the context of religious people and non-religious people, and the spectrum in between? You know, of just why is that? Why is whether or not there's a historical Jesus so relevant? If you're, if we're parsing out all of the mythic stuff anyway, and it doesn't matter. Okay, it doesn't matter, (laughs) and it doesn't it doesn't matter at all. But the point of it is, is that when you say, "Oh, there's all these myths," blah blah blah, that means it's all a myth. That's wrong. (laughs) So that's all I'm saying. In other words, people have gone jumped to that conclusion, and it's not it's not the um, the, the, that is not the uh, the most likely scenario in any way. You know, that's actually an extremist solution. Like you might say, we don't have a smoking gun yet that Joseph Smith initiated polygamy because we don't have DNA evidence that is linking him to any of these kids. Or there's no kids that, he, that we have it linking him to. But he did it. <laughs> okay? In other words, the preponderance of evidence tells us that he initiated polygamy. And so if we're going to wait around like a lawyer until we can convict him beyond a uh, shadow of a doubt or something like that, then that's not how history's done. That's lawyerism. And so that's why I'm just talk- talking to you as a historian. There is a... The, the most likely scenario... The preponderance of evidence, the frankly, you know, whatever eighty twenty or ninety ten scenario here is there's a historical Jesus, you know. But the but it's but what we can't say about him is that every single thing in the gospel, or actually many things, or most of the things, or ninety percent of the things in the gospel are historical. Ninety percent of the things in the gospel are not historical. Right, right, and that's where the confusion comes in. That's right, and it's easy to paint with a broad brush and say okay, this is, you know, to use Bill Maher's line, this is the Jewish book of fairy tales, therefore extrapolate, and here you go, there's, Jesus didn't exist, which... Just because is, it's fairy tales doesn't mean there wasn't a guy. Right. <laughs> that's, that's the point. And so, you know, to get back to the Christmas story, 
I'll just tell you, just as a as a preview here, every single thing in all in both the Christmas stories is a myth. Nothing is true. <laughs> Which is yeah. And just because he existed as a guy doesn't give any credibility to yeah, just like what you just said. Those are still myths. So right. it's just that this conversation rarely happens in, in whatever Facebook circles or family get togethers because either you subscribe to the significance of these stories and it's nobody nobody on Christmas Eve growing up like I did reads these passages from the Bible because we're celebrating a wonderful myth and and embracing a story. That's not why we do it. And on the flip side, if, if I don't do it now, it's not, it, it shouldn't be because I don't think Jesus exists as a person completely. Right. So, um, but in the end, but even, even as a Mormon though, you know, we, we didn't believe that this is exactly how Jesus's birth happened, right? Because well, exactly, it's, it's in but... April sixth, you know, and and Jesus is. I guess maybe that's the biggest divergent thing. That's a big one too. Yeah, yeah that's, but that's like classic Mormon to be like, not, well, the not the, the, the true solstice; it's the spring equinox. Yeah, yeah. This, that's a classic Mormon move to be like, oh, the truth, as far as it was translated correctly, yeah. which just means is like, you know, you know, we don't know all the details, but it sure did happen. Yeah. All right. So, so are, are we just going to th- trash the entire Christmas story and not... Do you want to trash not, it? Uh, <laughs> we're just going to say none of it is true and we're not going to talk about what any of it actually is? Well, we could talk about it because, because we actually there isn't a Christmas story. You're saying there weren't three, three wise men, there were four. And so that's no. I'm it doesn't even say that there's three. I know. <laughs> what if no, they were? Was there a little drummer boy though? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> little drummer boy. <laughs> I like that song. They told me, <laughs> you know the the actual the actuality is that we actually don't have it. There isn't a Christmas story. So that what we have is two different Christmas stories that we. Um, combine or Christians have combined um, through this idea and they, I think in the LDS tradition it's called the harmony of the gospels where they try to harmonize you know all of these conflicting points that the totally different gospel narratives are are telling and they pretend like oh but they if you just if you just put all the verses together yeah, then it what, works one, right? one, one of them is the tenor notes and the other one is the bass notes and you just put them <laughs> right, together right. Yeah. <laughs> harmony so, but the way it actually works is in terms of the canonical Gospels, the four Gospels that are actually in the New Testament, so Mark is the oldest Gospel. And so Mark is the – we don't have any – none of those names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are, those are not the names of anybody who wrote those books. Those are just ascribed to them later by later tradition. So, so we don't know the names of any of the people that wrote these things. But what we can say about them is that they didn't know Jesus. So none of those people knew Jesus. So the, so when I told you before, Paul, we knew a guy who knew a guy who knew Jesus, that's Paul. And Paul wrote before any of these gospel writers. Wait, wait, and wait. So, what about John? John didn't know Jesus. John, I thought that John was the the John the Beloved who Jesus no. loved. No, it just shows what you know. I know, right? <laughs> so, 
So, John, the Gospel of John, the fourth gospel, is the least historical at all, of all. There's almost nothing in the entire gospel that goes back to the historical Jesus. So, there is inside of that, inside of that gospel. So, that gospel is its own tradition, and it's for what scholars call the Johannine, the Johnish, or whatever you want to call it, the Johannine um, school. And so, that is where the epistles of John and and the Gospel of John, they're all kind of being written together within that kind of early Christian community. Um, it, in nowhere in the Gospel of John does the beloved disciple be, is called John. So, it talks about a beloved disciple who knew Jesus, whose testimony on which this, this um, Gospel is based. And so, what that probably is, is that the, in the in the kernel source thing, maybe the book of signs, the earliest part of the gospel of John inside there, the first gospel writer knew a guy who knew Jesus. <laughs> so, in other words, there's a guy who l- knew Jesus, who is living in this guy's town. Maybe it's Ephesus. We don't know where it is. Anyway, and who, um, who, who wasn't important at all. Right, but he is important to their community because he's now a ninety-year-old guy who knew Jesus, and so they call him the beloved disciple. But he's not John. That's a later idea that that, that people read it and they're like, "Oh, it must be John or whatever, John the beloved." And so that's a later edition. But so the most likely scenario is that the early earliest nugget of that Gospel of John thing, there's a guy who wrote it who knew a guy who knew Jesus or whatever. But then later, there's there's two or three additional levels of redactors on top of that that change the gospel to what it is now. And that's why the gospel has like a false ending, and there's all kinds of other problems in the text of that gospel. And in any event, if you read that thing, it is written not like a historical Jesus at all, but rather it's like as somebody who already believes in a divine Jesus right. and then reimagines what a divine Jesus would have been like if he had lived through some of the historical Jesus's life. Mm. And so, it doesn't have anything to do with anything in terms of the historical Jesus. And there's almost nothing except for where there's multiple attestation that you can actually even take from that to say, well, that actually goes back because it, it, it exists in the other other sources so, so then what about the Sermon on the Mount and, and all of the stuff that's like Jesus talking? Explain how that is, what, what so, that is. So, there's no Sermon on the Mount. That's definitely clear. Okay. And the, and the reason for that is that, okay, so when, okay, so let's go back to Mark. So, we got rid of John, right? So, <laughs> so Mark is the earliest of the Gospels and Mark doesn't have those sayings, right? That you're talking about the sayings, Gospel, the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain, and Luke. Right. Um, and, and so, instead, Mark has this narrative. And so, Mark is the first, and it's not, his name isn't Mark, we don't know who his name is. Anyway, the guy who wrote it, uh, who is an apocalypticist, who believes that the end of the world is about to happen, probably what's happening is that the Jewish revolt has just happened, they've just destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, they've um, just destroyed, the Roman Empire has just destroyed the temple there, and, and Mark or whatever his name is, believes that the end of the world is really about to happen. And he says, I, 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 he puts into Jesus' mouth, I testify unto you that, you know, like uh, people will see it this day or whatever it is, right? Okay. <laughs> so, that you won't, the, this generation will not pass and we'll see that the end is, is here, right? And so, he's an apocalypticist and, and he thinks that it's all about to end. And he's written this thing. And then, you know, 10, 20 years, whatever it is, happens. <laughs> And the, the, the Matthewan community and the Lucan community, 
which are not the same, they, they each get a hold of this, and the people who read it are like, whoa, this isn't the Jesus that we know in our community. We don't understand this. This is like a completely separate idea. Uh, and in fact, Luke even says, it's not, Luke's name is not Luke. Uh, you know, in other words, this is just a, what we call Luke. Anyway, that the Lucan text actually says, I got in a hold of these texts and they're not correct. And so I decided to rewrite this in my own way. And so, and so what Luke does is Luke takes a hold of Mark and Luke takes a hold of this thing, which is, a, which is the sayings gospel, which is a, an unknown source that we don't have anymore, except for that we know that Luke had a hold of it. And so it's called the the Q source, the Kelle in German source, which just means source, the lost mm-hmm. source. And so the sayings gospel. And Luke says, okay, I'll take a hold of the Matthew, te- I'm sorry, the Mark text, and I'll take a hold of the Q text, and I'm going to rewrite this as I understand or as my community understands Jesus. And so Luke includes all of Luke's ideas and everything like that. And then simultaneously, or right around the same time, Matthew is doing the same thing off in his community. And the, the communities are totally different. So, Matthew's community, he's, he's a Jewish Christian, and Luke is not Jewish. So, Luke's not Paul's or Peter's doctor or whatever it is. That's just a, that's a later attribution. Luke is probably a, um, a Gentile who is one of the God-fearers, so a person who is a Greek who has been hanging around the synagogues, who likes Old Testament stories, and has now been told by Paul that they can be part of this whole thing without having to go through all of the Jewish law stuff, right? Okay. And so, it's a person who is very well-versed in the, in, the, in the Septuagint, in the Greek Old Testament, the Greek scriptures, the Greek version of the Hebrew scriptures, but who doesn't know almost anything about actual Palestinian geography or Jewish law or anything like that, because Luke doesn't know any of that stuff. <laughs> and, so, and, and so, as a result of those things, those two are revising Mark. And so, those are the two people that come up with a Christmas story, <laughs> and they come up with completely separate Christmas stories because they're both um, writing in Greek, they're both Hellenistic Romans, even though one is Jewish Greek and one is a non-Jewish Greek, and so they, ha- they are interested in, in, in Hellenistic Roman biography convention. So, if you were going to write a biography of somebody right now as a modern person, you're going to want to like write about how they have overcome all of these different trials or whatever, how their psychology, because we have psychology, because we've invented that now since then, we understand that ideas. And so, you, you would write, okay, some person has, um, they had this conflict in their life, they were beaten as a kid and they've overcome that and that, re- that resolve created the person we have today, Right. Right, and so that is how we write modern biography. In in Hellenistic um, Roman times, how you write a biography is: if you have a great person, if you have a guy who is more or less um, becomes a divinity, they, what they do is there were signs of that divinity throughout their entire life, right? And so they create this biographic life where there were signs. And so, what does Matthew want to have for his signs? So Matthew's signs are that he doesn't have. There's no stable, there's no shepherds, there's no census. None of that exists in Matthew. But rather, what he has is that there's a star, you know, that comes. And then there are these um, astrologers, Persian magi, people who are from the Zoroastrian tradition, people who um, understand immediately through their tradition that this is going to be the king of kings or whatever. And, 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 Matt, so, and so Matthew um, puts all of these things where you recognize the greatness of the person 
um, from the earliest time. Oh, yeah. Luke does well, the exact well, same thing. John, how do you explain then that the ancient Americans also saw the star? <laughs> You're killing exactly. me. Oh, you got me this time, Glenn. <laughs> how do you explain that? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously... Oh, oh, are, are you going to say Joseph Smith, Smith is, made that up from the source? When Joseph, Smith, when Joseph Smith is writing, he's writing in... You can so read... When you read the Book of Mormon, it is such a post-Copernican worldview, right? <laughs> and so, you know, so he's like, oh, we knew when... You know, like in the Book of Mormon, it says, we know that when it says that the sun stopped when they were having that battle and, and Moses raised his hands and the sun stopped, <laughs> we know that doesn't mean that the sun stopped. It means that the earth stopped, right? You know, so it actually says that you know so in other words there's a lot of um post-copernican apologetics that happen in the book of mormon yeah yeah wow wow so you know this makes me think that the original these these gospels it's like an early script of the movie inception it's like a guy took a dream of another guy is this going to be a spoiler thing bob because i haven't (laughs) seen inception oh oh no inception That's Inception. the DiCar- DiCaprio one. Okay. Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. There, there's they, another one out right now by the same guy that starts with an I. That's what I, Interstellar. That's yeah. It. Yeah. Okay. Never yeah. Mind. Oh yeah. I haven't seen that. Yeah, that one's <laughs> not not as good, but I, I just feel like there's three to three point five. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but back to the movie Inception. There's there's this thing where you go deeper and you know somebody who knows somebody who had. Uh, a really interesting perspective on the other person he knew inside of his thoughts of that dream of this person. Like I'm, I don't know. It seems like we're so many separations away from Kevin Bacon that uh, I know I'm mixing metaphors, but (laughs) I just don't know what to take away from it. And, and the fact that it all happened in the past and people didn't have psychology and, and, or, or, uh, was it just a different worldview? They had different conventions for telling their stories, and so that's what they were putting in as their construction. Nobody, the nobody, nobody would have had any idea. So, like forty, fifty years after Jesus is dead, which is when they're writing, right? Nobody would have had any idea what anybody did as a kid, right? And so, what I'm saying is that in their biographies, when they're going to write a biography, what they end up doing, and this was a normal history convention back then. So, if you go to Herodotus or Thucydides or with the origins of history, what you do is you write what ought to have been. Well, as history, that's not, right? Should we should we use a different word then? Like that seems confusing to be like, oh, this is the other type of history, not the history history. Like, what? what it's what not a history. So, in other words, it is confusing. So, as opposed to academic history, as opposed to what we do today, what ancient people did was very different. And they so, made yes, shit it's up. Not, yeah, <laughs> that's like the nice way of saying like, oh, it was a long time ago. They didn't have this modern construct, and I get that. But then part of me wants to be like. This is a nice way of saying they were well, dumb. No, 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 and they no. They made Bob, shit up. Bob, like I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong in this, John. But we make stuff up too, Bob. Sure. Just, but but we we have our own conventions that have been passed down to us in tradition that are our own expectations that come out of a story that we don't have this fine tuned radar that we can go. Oh, that stuff was made up. Well, and they also had no idea and no way of knowing any of that. They, they In other words, have known this is stuff. Our modern this is all, don't write yeah, about it. All of the stuff. No, they, they they don't know any different. Right. So, in other words, they, they, as far as they know, that is what what you know what it kind of was like, and they were and they were very but, justified in, tar- in in telling how it ought to have been, and they were you know, and they may, right. may have heard a story or whatever. In other words, so, what 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 was fiction back then? Did that concept not exist? Just everything was 
reality you just write something and therefore it is because i said so that i mean like the brain couldn't process made-up stuff from non-made-up stuff like what uh, did fi- did fiction exist in this time or is that just a foreign concept because that comes i'm i'm again projecting my my 2014 well, thinking yeah there is fiction back then although it's really um how is it different <laughs> It was unusual, you know, and so that's why I think I, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a um, expert on fiction. <laughs> so, it's like, oh, but she I think had the reason, three heads, not. But a I think baby the, I think the reason why why fiction is called novels is because it's a new thing. <laughs> but I have to look that. I mean, I have to tell you, I don't. I'm not a. I'm not an expert on fiction. And my only source on this is Galaxy Quest. Computer, show the historical documents of the Galaxy Quest missions. On our planet, we, uh, we pretend to, uh, to, to entertain. And, uh, I am so sorry. No, but I, I like where you're going, John, even if uh, you're, you're more academically inclined than i am i'm i'm willing to riff off of it but i i think what you were just about to say is fiction back then was like coming up with stuff that was just so new and and novel and and right. something that you clearly couldn't be attributed to a, a, a plausible well, set of but, events but, whereas but let's, rein- let's, let's go to motive bob because like in if if somebody is writing a fiction for the sake of entertainment, I think I think that's the thing that's novel. In in this case, what they were doing is trying to justify themselves as a as a group of people that had a, a certain set of beliefs that centered around a historical person. But, and by the way, they already they already existed as a group before they got a hold of Mark's text. <laughs> in other words, they were already. A early Christian group, and they were, and it's not like there's one church. There's all these little churches everywhere, and they don't have any particular unity to them at all. And and so they never had thought of that we have to have a text of Jesus's life before until suddenly they got one. <laughs> and then when they're reading it, they're like, "Whoa, this isn't what we kind of this is this is weird apocalyptic stuff." And by the way, we already got ten years or so past it, and all these prophecies aren't coming true. <laughs> and so. <laughs> And so they're because they, were like, because they already had like oral tradition in the group, right? And they would have already had some. I mean, there would have been oral tradition because they would have been people that knew people that knew people that knew Jesus, right? But ha- but how common and was so, having these things written down as opposed to just telling them at this time? Not at all, not at all common because yeah. none of these people ha- text is 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 so intensely valuable. Okay, so by, you have to even go back to with this point. They don't. They can't actually read silently. Right. They hadn't invented silent reading where they just are taking a text and reading it right when they read it they read it out loud they don't even they haven't invented silent reading yet but how they do have, we know that that's crazy wow we yeah. know that silent based on they're talking about it we, we they made it up in the middle ages <laughs> they hadn't invented punk they hadn't invented spaces between the words yet okay the texts are written entirely um you know, like all the letters are all run together. There's not only not punctuation; they don't have the space. And uh, and and what was what were the literacy rates? I mean, it's not like they were passing around books and everybody was reading oh, it. Right. Somebody who was learned right. would nobody. read to them. Right. So yeah. essentially, what they've got is they're a group, and suddenly they got a hold of this one scroll that they never had before, and and it, you know, and they're you know they're reading it, and somebody 
you know, in both cases, in Matthew and Mark's, I'm sorry, Luke's case, Matthew and Luke's case, they got a hold of this and they just don't like it. You know, and that's why they uh, that's and they have two scrolls because they have the the sayings gospel as well, and they and they and that's where they say, well, based on the traditions traditions that we have, this is how it goes. Although they're also creating stuff, so like you say, it, it is different from where we feel comfortable to do stuff now. So, in other words, I think that um, I personally believe that the author of Luke, like for example, you can see all kinds of places where the author of Luke takes a story from the Old Testament and repurposes it in a new way as if it were a, 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 a New Testament story. In other words, a new story, you know? And right. so there, and so there actually are willing to malleably create their storytellers in that way, where they are creating new stories in a way that we just wouldn't, we so, wouldn't do. So then who, who is Jesus in terms of, you know, when people attribute themselves as when, when people call themselves Christians, the unifying theme without getting into like all the baggage that that could mean is, is like, Oh, I'm Christian in the sense, you know, love thy neighbor, turn the other cheek. Like who invented all that stuff? Cause it's, it's obviously not a unified person that, that has this new approach to um, the old way of thinking from the old Testament. It sounds like a bunch of different communities and it's all spliced together. Like who are the real authors of this stuff that now has become so profound as a basis for how to live life? I, I I don't know, but I what what happens? Well, I know you don't know, but I was thinking I was what, what, John what, would know. What happens a lot? <laughs> what, what happens, Bob, is that there's it's it's common sense, it's common wisdom that gets penned down and ascribed to somebody like like a like, like a mother goose or an Aesop's fables or Confucian well, or Lao Tzu, you know, so, you know, something like that. But it's different I mean, with Jesus. It's like a it's like the start of it in some ways. Or at least that's the way I'm projecting the way I grew up and and how I still think a lot of Christians think of the New Testament as this like groundbreaking liberal idealism that of like totally, turn the other cheek and and uh, give somebody a code if they ask for your cloak also you know, like all those things the parables you know, and things the, you think love those the are poor don't cast a stone if he without sin like every like there's this common theme of 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 just loveliness that just doesn't exist in the old testament and it's all like packaged into but this the old, one but the old testament isn't person. the only source of 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 wisdom in the old world it is for christians uh, so um i'm just saying jesus is like such an important figure in the history of of Christianity and, and a good chunk of the world. And if it is just like, you know, a common sense type stuff that's in a million other places, how did it get to be that Jesus was the one who invented it as, as far as the Christian paradigm goes? All right. <laughs> that's complicated. Yeah, that's... yeah. So, but so, okay. So the difference between the, um, you know, like mythic origin stories for a guy and also the you know the you know the afterlife stuff. So in, as opposed to the, those portions of it, the actual teaching stuff, the things from the the sayings gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it actually is harder for us to decide which exact sayings are authentic because there the, it depends on your decisions about like which ones are the core corpus and so in fact um there you know as opposed to the question is there a historical jesus about which most scholars are all you agree there was one now if you want to go past that to the next step what what does the historical jesus teach 
um, <laughs> that that's a little more complicated. And so there actually right. are competing ideas of that, which is and crazy because so, it's just like it's it, to me it's like a mini version of like does God exist? Yes or no? And it's like great. Now what? Well, like why? <laughs> but I, and I think well, what you were asking, Bob, is even a step beyond what John just said. It's, like, it's not. It's not what did the historical Jesus teach. It's how did all of these teachings that we have now get ascribed to the historical Jesus? You know, like how exactly. can how can you how, like where can you find the origin for these things that have right. been accredited to Jesus? And like there, there's. The, that's impossible. It's like tracing the origins of words or languages or things like that. Some things are just lost in uh, in in antiquity. We don't know, but we know that they did. And and there are certain things in in history you can look at um, where certain gospels were canonized and others were said to be apocryphal. And what was that Council of Nicaea and uh, things like that? That things became official. But it, there was there was a lot of just malleability and tradition that happens all the time. So like trying to, trying to, to nail down the source of, of that and how it it came to be exactly how it is. uh, That's, that's, that's tough work. It's a bunch of Plato that's all been stuck together and people just, you know, do you believe in Jesus? Like I, what does that even mean? It's just this amalgamation of like a bazillion different sources and, and made up stuff and storytelling. And, you know, it's just weird for me to, process all of that or it has been coming from the upbringing that i was in like where he was a real person and he lived a life and actually said all of these things and then you know died when he was 33 years old that's a magic age um and there's just like lots of stuff that's just this concrete narrative and as soon as you parse it apart and tell me it's nothing because it's everything then it's like well what what value does it have other than just as an interesting as an interesting piece of, of, uh, humanity. Cause so many people subscribe to it, but like for me to live my life against it in some meaningful way, that's where I, you know, of course I, I don't care anymore because I, I don't, I don't know what it is cause it's, it, it's too much and too little. I'm, I know I'm not making too much sense, but I yeah, just get it. That makes sense, Bob. I, I totally agree with you. It's, I, I have such a hard time thinking, okay, if you tell me that the things that I've always known are not real, like they didn't really happen the way that I thought they did, then it's, I have a hard, a really hard time understanding why people then, especially people that know that can then say that they worship God and call themselves Christian and believe in it. Because then it's like, aren't you just believing in a story kind of like, does that right. it's it's just very very strange for me to understand it and i i want to understand it but i really don't but don't 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 you have like i mean i mentioned aesop's fables you know th- things where there is a story and it's clearly a a, a made up story you know the the Santa Claus, the well, Easter no, Bunny, the Tooth about, Fairy, like, like the, yeah. the, the sour grapes story that you can learn from like, right like what's the story of sour grapes what what is that animal is that a fox that, that's like looking up at a tree and sees that there's these grapes and he wants to get them and he wants to get them and he wants to get them but he can't and then he turns around and he walks away he's like oh they're probably sour anyway you know we've got a whole <laughs> expression about that but it, it, it it's like a story that helps you understand a little piece about human nature and can help form values in your life you can make decisions about that and, and you don't believe that there was ever really a fox that was looking up at those grapes you know sure 
But that's but totally different than saying, like, I don't then go and say, well, I'm a fabulist. And I, I go to, ch- I go to a place right. every Sunday and I talk about it for hours and I read it and I study it. Like, I, I just think that they're useful and valuable, but I don't, it's not a religion. And that's where I have a hard time, I guess, understanding why, why does it happen? I know, but, but I would get, I would, I would argue that the reason for that is because you've been a member of a fundamentalist religion. Mm-hmm. And so therefore you, the fundament, your, your fundamentalist religions, entire value proposition is is this black and white thing yeah. and it has to be black or white and it is black and it's white yeah and and, it, and that's the whole point but in fact that doesn't mean anything at all yeah. it's all and meaningless in other words that's all nonsense in other words all that entire proposition I, is it's nonsense. very very hard for me to understand i want to but what you're saying is exactly right like i almost feel like i have a handicap now that i can't because i think background but but allison i think to push back on John a little bit. So, um, John, why uh, do you, or, or the, the plural you, uh, if you, if you don't feel comfortable with me ascribing this to you, why do you value being a Christian so much more than being a fabulist? If, if Alice, if Allison and I can collect a bazillion stories that are just as valuable yeah. and, and construct something and say, we have the fabulist religion, and it's not—it's not black and white. It's not fundamentalism. Why is that less valid to you than Christianity? So the fables are very valuable. I, I actually—I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> so I mean, I'm just as happy to, uh, you know, so in kids' time at church when we when we have to um, do something where we're teaching the you know the kids about something. I hate. Like th- trying to do things like Noah in the Ark or something like that. What Noah in the Ark is a terrible story. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know. I mean, yes, there's animals. Kids love animals, but isn't? I mean, what happens in this story? It's a horrible story. So I, I, I don't, I don't like that. So I like, uh, I like some of Jesus's parables, which are very much like fables, which is to say they don't happen. They're they're teachings that are designed to make you um, uh, think. They're designed to make you actually. Get out of your, um, uh, uh, the, you know, your just regular thought processes and say, wait a second, that doesn't fair, or that is bad, or or what is going on? I don't understand that. In other words, it's, get you out of your complacency. And in a lot of ways, the fables are like that too. And so I'm just, I would prefer, frankly, to teach one of Aesop's fables that have, you know, mo- you know, little little animals or something like that, than to teach some Old Testament story like Jonah and the whale. Which I don't even know what the point of that story is right <laughs> for right. a kid so i don't think that there's a, is a, a difference so that what's the difference between if you're going to create a new um aesopist church or whatever you want to call it aesopist um uh co- you know confraternity um good you know the point is good luck with you to make a new thing like that <laughs> you know and so i'd rather what i'd say is that i it, that this already exists this is the entire course of western civilization what you know uh, western civilization um has already adopted this uh this core and also we can have aesop's fables which is part of our western civilization we can bring that in uh and we and we already have the in existing um uh, both structure and also legal system 
You know, so why do Indians have to, instead of calling themselves Native Americans when they go to the federal government, they have to call themselves Indians because the legal treaties are already there. Well, so when you're making your confraternity and you want to have total freedom of religion and a tax exemption, it's sometimes helpful for you to call yourself a religion then, right? Okay, so, so that's interesting. So there's a couple things you're saying there that are really interesting to me. One is you're sort of conceding the point that there's a sense of momentum and people wouldn't care if if you built up this community structure without the the historical context of the term religion and christianity because because then it would just be like this new thing that people wouldn't sure. be that excited about and so i mean you're i don't i don't mean to to say it so crudely, but you're like taking advantage of the fact that Christianity is a big deal and it's really effective to be like, I'm Christian, I'm religious, and those things, with all the baggage they have, they actually have some positive reinforcement that helps accelerate um, activity and bringing people together in a way that I'm a fabulist or I like cute stories doesn't, right? I've been the... Um the um, chief operating officer, president of 16 corporations in my life. Wow. Eight um, for-profit and eight not-for-profit. So somebody, somebody in your John DeLynn interview was talking about how they're an entrepreneur. That's Bob. That's it me. was Bob. Yeah, you. So I've done the same thing. I've, I've started tech companies and things like that. I'll, I'll tell you, in my experience of that, it is so much easier to take an existing institution and help move it in a good direction than it is to start something from scratch. I mean, yes, you can you could have something you can make a Google and it would just do something amazing, right? But the most likely scenario of almost anything that starts is that it's just going to fail, right? And this so is it the, is the, so the franchise much, model. Why franchise? You know, franchise is the is the thing you should go into. You're going to make the all most your money. Successful, yeah, yeah right. exactly. You, yeah, you, you pick up an you, existing brand and right, right. right. I mean, okay. I can tell you that for a person that I moved to Canada, you know, two years ago. And, you know, I've, I've just been named the president of the senior group of charities here, which is worth $26 million, <laughs> whatever, you know what I mean? Which is to say it's a company that is doing social housing, and I really appreciate every single thing that it's doing. But if I was trying to start that from scratch, you know, I mean, I wouldn't be able to be housing 180 people right now, you know. Uh, you know, in that exact same way, um, you know, we don't we have all of this entire inheritance and you can imagine that um that fundamentalists somehow have are are the people that have in, inherited it but they haven't so fundamentalists are no i mean if you were to go back to augustine or to thomas aquinas or anselm and and you were just to tell them what um I don't know what's the, what's what the seven hundred club guy, Pat, <laughs> you know, Pat you, Robertson. Pat Robertson. You were you were to tell them this kind of just nonsense, you know, idiotic ranting that these people are saying, you know, and they and they would just they would scoff at these heretics that they would hopefully burn, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't. They didn't actually burn. Anyway, but so, <laughs> but I'm just I'm just saying that you know, in other words, that that instead, what you know, what they what that that inheritance that in all of Western civilization that we have that is ours. I have every single thing in common with the people, my ancestors that built the cathedrals of Europe, because they didn't believe this nonsense crap that modern fundamentalists think. You know, this childish 
crap religion. <laughs> yeah. That's not real religion, you know? And so the fact that you just want to throw it all away, well, that's rejectionism. <laughs> that's I, fair. I mean, so I, I so so I want to work with that a little bit. So it's kind of I like your business model in a way because it's sort of like saying that um, you shouldn't be given crap for wanting to start a business because look what Enron did. It's like well that's not fair. That doesn't mean that all businesses that start are going to end up in a place like that. Why are you ascribing everything about what I'm doing to business. you know a, a clear example of failure? Yeah, that's a bad business of course they were they were horrible <laughs> right right exactly you could, a, you could also have a good business yeah but people that's don't good do example, that for though, some reason because because you do because that's because you, you were talking about religion like what religion traditionally does or what stories what religion is, tells it, it, it's equivalent to saying business based on that enron model, model. Yeah, yeah 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 and 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 people for whatever reason um don't do it as much with business it's kind of more accepted that like oh when you start a business your your approach to it is agnostic as compared to successful or failed businesses that went before you but with religion there's just it's just not that way like you're you're it's an uphill battle you're really well, you also, you know, when you say business, you understand that there are different business models, and so like comparing one business to another business isn't exactly the same right right and, but, but religion, but religion kind of sweeps everything yeah. away. Well, and I think when John, when you talk about how it has all that baggage too, that's that's so true. It's just really hard to separate all the very, um, very apparent historical horrible things that religion has done. Religion quotes, you know, it's obviously very specific people. It's and it's not all religion, but we think about it that way, and especially when. We, like I feel a little bit scorned by religion. So I'm going to lump that in with my negative feelings on the whole, which I know I shouldn't do, but um, I don't think of business like that at all. It doesn't have that kind of baggage. Yeah. You know, but, sure, but as you might imagine, uh, as a gay man, which I am, you could imagine. Yeah. That we don't some have Randy religions- here to remind us that of that. <laughs> I'm glad you brought it up. I don't. I don't normally bring that up. Yeah. I don't play that card. But anyway, <laughs> you can imagine that there. You know, I understand that. Let's say some religions, <laughs> you know, you know, haven't 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 uh, been nice to gay people, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, but that isn't. But that isn't. I, there's a there is a diversity among religion, and in fact, even the word religion is a modern term. You know, I mean, it isn't. It's a modern concept. You know, that is only, you know, so like, okay, so for example, we, we have in Toronto, one of the um, institutions that my church has created is this thing called the Encounter World Religion Center. And so one of the, Toronto is the most diverse city in the world. It, you wouldn't imagine that it would be, right? Here's this little city in Canada, right? <laughs> but the reason is that we have a very different immigration model than the U.S., which is no model, right? Right. And so in, the, in, the, in Canada, it, the model is, Boy, people all around the world are paying all this money to educate people and you know make them brilliant graduate students and everything like that, and they all want to get into the U.S. and they can't. And wouldn't it be nice if all of those smart people were able to just move to Canada, you know, and and make jobs and stuff? Right. And so that's Canada's model. And so anybody who ha- can get a certain number of points because of um, being fluent in English and having graduate degrees and having um, skills can just move to Canada. And so as a result of that, a majority of the people who live in the city of Toronto are actually from somewhere else. And so as a result of that, everybody who lives 
lives anywhere near me, you know, isn't native-born Canadian. They are from absolutely everywhere. And so my friends are absolutely everything. And so because of that, um, we have like this incredible diversity of world religion here in Toronto. And we created this center where what we do is we have a a completely secular, not a member of the church, a professor of religious studies who um, you take a you take a week long course and you um, are learn like everything there is to know in a, in an hour and a half anyway <laughs> about let's say the Baha'i and then you go meet the Baha'i right you meet the you learn everything you know about the Zoroastrians and then you go meet the Zoroastrians and you and you do all all of that kind of thing. Don't remember where the story was going. <laughs> the, the, the diversity of religion like there's a diversity of business and yeah yeah, yeah. so anyway so anyway so I, I i do think that there's an, an immense diversity of religion and so to, my, to what end do you do all of that because um peace it, it, to promote peace because i mean we'll look at all the incredible bigotry that happens in the united states from ignorance whether or not um whether or not the people are calling themselves christian or whether they don't go to church or whatever it is you know and so why do we do that? We, so that we all are learning about each other. So we're learning about all these different traditions. You know, and so when you even ask, when is, where are all these ideas about Jesus coming from? Well, Jesus is living a little after this period of time called the Axial Age. And this is a, it's a reform movement in religion across the planet where people are, are no longer um, able to, uh, they're no longer satisfied with um, things that had been, um, rituals where they would commit sacrifice, where they would, would where they would say, "Do with days, I give in order that you give. I give you, you know, this lamb in order, and then you will you will um, cause me to succeed in this thing." And so, all those rituals weren't having any meaning anymore. And so, across the planet, there were religions, religious reformers who were saying, "No, that the fact that you're just doing those, going by the rules." doesn't matter you know that isn't helping what you need to do is you need to be a good person by by thinking of your fellow man and so do unto others that isn't just jesus there's like 10 different you know religious reformers that are doing it or you know saying the exact same kind of thing from confucius across to to buddha to zoroaster to um, Plato and Socrates, you know, so these are all, you know, th- that's all, that's all happening at the same kind of time. And so, yes, it happens in Jesus. And that has been a core thing in Western civilization that we've been reading those texts. Are those texts more valuable than any of the other texts other than the fact that they're at our core of our civilization? Not, no, they're not like they're, they're magic, you know? Right. Well, it's interesting intersection of like, of, of, having a purpose and, and a community, but then there is in, inherent in most religions the, a belief structure and an expectation of a reward or a cause-effect model and explanations for things that are otherwise unexplained. And, like, I, how, do you, how do you deal with all of that, like, in, in your construct of what religion means to you? Because... Again, I know that it's easy for me to pigeonhole because I'm coming from a Mormon perspective, but um, things like there's no beginning and there's no end and what that means in a, in a religious sense, um, like, you know, the heaven-hell reward-punishment model, the, the what happens when you pray for rain type stuff. Like, how do you this – is, this just is all silliness to me now, but yep. it's, it's mostly the dominant narrative across – 
especially Christianity, but even other religions, there's just a lot of this stuff, like woo wooey type explaining things that I don't understand, so I'm going to believe in something else to mitigate my lack of knowledge. Um, how, how is that, how, how do you deal with that baggage? Well, so the, um, I mean, you had a bunch of different ones. So it was like, um, I'm going to pray and then it won't be, and it won't, won't rain or it will rain. Right. <laughs> so that's a good one to start. <laughs> so that's, you know, again, dough with day. So that's the, uh, I give in order that you give. That's the, um, that's actually what religious reformers twenty three four hundred years ago <laughs> were against um you know and so that doesn't you know that's that doesn't that's not the prosperity gospel obviously people are still doing that kind of thing so people think that, that and, and that really just gets down to superstition yeah that, that's what well, religion and that's, is in, yeah. in a way no it's not what religion is <laughs> but that is that is a word that the, so religion is a word that's only 500 years old where superstition is a word that is 2000 years old and that's what that is what superstition is which is the prosperity gospel and so yeah we, the prosperity gospel is something that we condemn like up and down the wazoo in our church <laughs> so when anybody ever is talking about it that that they're saying oh so and so you know has cancer well that's not because there was something wrong with them that they did something wrong and now they've got cancer or so and so has got a mercedes now well they didn't get their mercedes because they were good no right. that, that that you know and that is even in the book of job <laughs> so do you right? have so, prayer yes uh, and and um it, how does it work? I'm just curious. Sure. So prayer, there's two different things that you can do with prayer, in my opinion. This is me. You know, I'm not saying, I'm not going to speak for the church for the prayer. Or for the historical one. Jesus. <laughs> this is not the historical Jesus. Right. So you have two different things. You have public prayer and you have private prayer. So in public prayer, um, you are expressing um, feelings for the community. And it depends on the circumstances that the community is in. And in fact, so you can be, so some, you could have had a loss. So somebody could have just died and, and you can express the feelings that the community is feelings for that loss. That's certainly something that you could do, or you have hopes. So my community, my church is we're about to build a new church building. And so we have hopes for our new building and we hope have hopes for renewal here in downtown Toronto, you know? And so you express, you, you having a public statement and you are speaking together, and you're expressing feelings for the community. So that's public and, prayer. And you're doing it in a, in, in a traditionally accepted package. You're wrapping it up. Absolutely. To, to, to make it... It's something that's been happening for thousands of years. Yeah. yeah. And, are and, you addressing a deity? Well, but... but yes. Okay. Just, so, I just and so understand. what you would say in, the, in those circumstances, what I'll often say is, um, you know, depending on what we're, ta- what we're praying about, you know, we'll say... Uh, uh, eternal parent or creator God or any, you know, whatever the, whatever the uh, holy wisdom, if you want to talk about, um, uh, you know, God as any of these characteristics, wisdom or as love or peace, you know, uh, any, any of those kind of things, depending on what the um, thing that you're talking about, then that's the address that you can have, right? And so, in the exact same way, then, then for private prayer, so private prayer for any, any number of people who especially don't ever do this, private prayer is like the one place where people actually have introspection, 
you know, and so there's, there, people can pray and they can say, I have this problem in my life. I'm worried about this. How can I deal with this? And they're thinking about it. So private right. prayer has an absolutely relevant function, you know. So, so both of those are very and, – and they don't have to feel silly when they're doing it because it's something that people have been doing for thousands of years. And so and no matter how much you want to tell me that you can say – you can create your fable church or whatever, it is really hard to make new stuff. And it's really hard to make new traditions. And it's really hard to not feel silly when you're doing it. You yeah, know? but, but in, the, in this – and I hear you, but I guess the flip side of that is, is it's really hard – to take something that what to me feels like 90% abused and and leverage it for the, the 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 these use cases that are super valuable but like I couldn't get out of my head while praying silently or publicly that the majority of people who are doing this what I'm what I'm what I'm doing is part of a larger process that's usually done for other reasons and it's hard for me to not want to just disregard it and and say no, like not, meditation it's not 90 percent so sorry maybe 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 worldwide i have no idea you know so i'm not going to talk outside of north america because uh, yes in the developing world we can only say what's going on and, and are right, you talking you know, specifically of, bob about prayer being the the mechanism well, no, any, for abuse or are you just talking about no, religion no, everything again? any anything that's like you know what what is using all these words like salvation god afterlife prayer sacrament atonement like all this stuff well, like for me to god. reinvent it just because no, everybody's not, already god used is not to it being reinvented though what i'm saying is that it's only 50% of the people that have reinvented it in this bad way that you're talking about fundamentalism is not a majority of religion it is half and half, and yes, okay. and, 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 and I'm, but I'm not saying that everybody in the good half knows what they're talking about. They don't. But we don't judge, for example, scientists based on what science students know. So in the exact same way, religion has always – religion invented colleges. Religion invented universities. Religion invented the Enlightenment. It, it is only a certain percentage of the people who actually knew what the hell they were talking about way back then. But by the same token, right, scientist students know that they're scientist students. They don't think of themselves as experts in the field, whereas religious people typically, if they're in that student status, I, don't, I don't even – I don't even know. People, people are so – they hate authority so much now. It's amazing what people will um, pretend that they know on Facebook. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm amazed by it. I mean, the amount of people. Anyway, anyway. But no, I agree with you. But no, and, I'm not, and sometimes on podcasts, religious leaders have totally have to, have, are, have made massive failures. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Um, uh, you know, cover for them. I mean, I even think that the religious, uh, the mainstream religions, the liberal religions, uh, you know, like big, big ones, you know, uh, Episcopalians and Methodists and all those kind of things. I think that whereas they, they know everything that I'm talking about, they, the, mm -hmm. the scholarship was already there a hundred years ago and yet they didn't do a good, they, they made it in their arts. They made it in their modern churches with their very symbolic paintings and all that kind of thing on there. And they had a terrible time of transmitting it to their people. Right. But I, I, I'm amazed in my own congregation, and it is not because I taught them or whatever. I'm amazed by, you know, everybody's on the same page with me. I can't even, I'm, I'm really amazed by how, you know, so. Wow. I mean, it's, it's just hard for me. And in, in, in that's, that sounds 
that does sound amazing because um, I I just don't have that experience. But that's not because it, it is that way. So I'm I'm just trying to I'm 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 happy I'm happy to understand more about this new approach to religion because it just feels like so exhausting to me for to put myself in your shoes to have to have this conversation with Bob because you're going <laughs> to like, it's just, it's just so much baggage of like all of the topics to, to, you know, parse out the bad and claim the good and, and, and be a beacon of hope. Right. Religion is just like, that's a huge thing you're trying to do. And, and, and it's commendable on the one hand, that's the, the, the polite way of saying it. And, and it feels like, a lost cause on the other hand, which is the pessimistic way of, of me framing it. And of course it's the lazy, you know, then it's easy for me to dismiss it. As... Yeah. Well, uh, but I, so I'm, so I'm listening to your podcast with Mr. Deity, right? Right. And, and he's, he's brilliant. He's funny. I love him. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but here comes, yeah. What you probably took issue with a few things. I'm sure. I don't think there's a point in reforming religion. I don't think, I don't think religion is valuable in any way. I think it's a great detriment to society, mm. um, particularly nowadays. In fact, that's what that's what my next way of the mister is about. And I'm I'm opposed to it uh, on on many re, on my, on many levels and for many reasons. But the main reason I'm opposed to it is that it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. We they had their chance. You know, there was a time when Christianity had. So much power. For a thousand years, they could have made the city of God, you know, this beautiful world. If their religion would have inspired it, but it didn't. It, and what it inspired was the Dark Ages. Well, you know, I mean, uh, but what, you know, what he doesn't want, on the one hand, what he didn't know about uh, um, the history was, it was elaborate. <laughs> but the other thing was where, you know, when you get to the point where your political agenda is, I just want religion to go away. Mm-hmm. You know, you, well, I hope you ask Santa Claus for that. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, of course, you know, whatever, the, 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 the um, radicals in, in the 1700s said the same thing, right? <laughs> but even if you were going to get it to happen in among the... Um, among Europeans in, in the Netherlands, <laughs> that you still have to deal with the rest of the world too, you know? So th- this is not something that instantly, you know, like, okay, everybody's made, you know, we all listened to Hume and now it's all over. There's no more thinking to be done. It didn't all happen. So now there is stuff that has to be done. And, and by the way, in the meantime, even if the, everybody hasn't done a great job at it, a lot of people have maintained the intellectual tradition of religion, which is still extremely valid and is still exactly what I'm talking about, and which does not have to um, – which. Anyway, which you don't have to say, oh, that's the same thing as fundamentalism. Well, it's not, you know. And in fact, we can, I have the capacity to, that you guys maybe, so since since I'm a pastor Mm -hmm. of a congregation, it may well be that when this pastor of a congregation in Arizona is saying, well, women shouldn't talk because women are inferior and gay people should all be killed because the Bible says so. Well, I have more maybe a capacity to say that he absolutely misinterprets absolutely everything in the entire Christian tradition and the Christian understanding of scriptural interpretation. St. Augustine said all the way back in, you know, 
1,600 years ago, he said, if something, if you read something in Scripture, and if you have to read it literally, and that literally thing, it, it makes you, um, it goes against all of convention, and you just think it's horrific, then if you read it literally, then, then you are blaspheming. You know, that's blasphemy. St. Paul said, if you read something by the letter, it's death. It causes death. The li- literal interpretation is death. <laughs> so, those, th- that guy, in, t- in doing that, is, um, uh, uh, is interpreting, he's rejecting the entire Christian tradition. He's going against Jesus' entire gospel, which the whole gospel is. Jesus was, don't believe all these stupid little rules. We need to instead think about the spirit of the law and reject all of these rules. So, he is anti-Jesus, he's anti-Christ, and he's nothing less than anti-Christ. And I'm perfectly you know, willing to scream that at the top of my lungs as a pastor. And, and you, if you guys you, want to do that as a fabulist, you can do it too, and, see, and, then be, and we'll be allies. Yeah, and well, and, and maybe there's more credibility of it coming from a pastor rather than from a, you know, a belligerent atheist in his basement or whatever that's um, uh, you know, not part of anything. Um, but, but I kind of want to know if you have, like, or if you've considered creating, like, a, a, a mini wikipedia for this reinvention of religion where where because i i don't know why in my mind the first thing that i want to do with you john is to like have a super long conversation where we start from the top and you give me your definition of all of these terms that i just went like god salvation atonement hell heaven because i I, I, yeah i feel like we won't be we'll be talking past each other until i know how that even works for you because i'm just making huge assumptions otherwise Mm-hmm. Well, let's do it. <laughs> let's make a Wikipedia pub. <laughs> I need New business one. model. <laughs> and and I, I want to go back to the, you, you made a reference to Jesus and try to get us back on track. Oh, dear. <laughs> All right. Good luck. Go yeah, for it. right, right. Um, I had so many wonderful things I wanted to say about Christmas Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's you know, get You know what I love? I'm going to tell you. So, my, you know, we were talking about... Um, my, we were talking about uh, Life of Brian. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, like, one of my favorite um, movie scenes of all times is where Ricky Bobby is giving his uh, prayer. <laughs> Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful Beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR, as we call him. And, of course, my red-hot smoking wife, Carly, who's a stone-cold fox, mm. who if you were to rate her ass on 100, it would easily be a 94. Mm. You know, to the, to the Christmas Jesus, because it's just like one of the silliest parts of the literalist Christian conception, you know, of Jesus, you know, where he's just like, okay, Dear eight pounds, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus, don't even know a word, yet still infant and so cuddly but omnipotent. Yeah. <laughs> we just thank you for all the races I've won and the $21.2 million. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! <Yeah. laughs> you know, the prosperity gospel and then also, you know, the omnipotent. Anyway, I love that. Well, and I think, I think even <laughs> that, that, that illustrates a lot of the absurdity, but also ignoring if there was a historical Jesus, which we're saying there was, what who was this guy, and what did he teach? You right. know, what was he the, the the nonconformist that you just presented him as, and saying, "You guys don't look at the letter of the law; look at the spirit of the law." Is that something that he really would have been teaching, 
Or is that something that was later ascribed? Um, is there any sense of... Oh, I can, uh, let me just tell you what we can actually know about this historical Jesus and then what I just told, that that what I ascribe to him yeah. is my take on him, right? Okay. So I'm not going to say that, that I can conclude that for sure, okay. right? But instead, okay, so what can we say? He's not born in Bethlehem. That there was not, he was not. <laughs> he was born in Nazareth, right? And so he is, the, he is a um, woodsmith, yeah, um, and I think I think if if Randy were here, he would want to make sure that that people know that the reason that he believes in a historical Jesus is because the Gospels make such a, a point of trying to explain why he was born in Bethlehem when right. when he was really from Nazareth, right? Well, they both the, they both make the two of them, you know, Matt, in, again, like we say, this is Matthew and Luke. The two of them make competing and contradictory claims about how they got to Bethlehem, you know? So, right. as far as Matthew's concerned, he was just from there. Right. He was born it, in Bethlehem. And then, they, and then, and then, Herod, and then Herod is going to massacre all the infants. That didn't happen. That's a made-up thing. Yeah. And so, then they run off to Egypt, and then they run back, and when they run back, for some reason, they go to Nazareth. That's how Matthew deals with it. And then Luke comes up with this thing where there's the census, which yeah. is absurd. Yeah. Nobody in the Roman Empire ever had a census where you had to go back to the town. That would just cause chaos. Romans, all the only reason for census is, you know, just to be taxed, you know, and so there is no, um, anyway, that neither one of those, he's not from Bethlehem, he's from Nazareth, and then one of the reasons why we know that is because that Nazareth doesn't even exist in the historical record until we get Jesus of Nazareth, mm -hmm. and so there's just no reason you'd ever make him be from Nazareth. If you were making up the myth, you'd just be like, Jesus from Bethlehem, that's just the way, it, yeah. you know, it should be, right? So, so there, there was a historical Jesus from Nazareth, but that didn't fit the prophecies of Messiah, they had to put him that's in Bethlehem right. somehow, so, right. so th they had to get this, this knowledge that he really was from Nazareth. Nazareth into Bethlehem somehow. That's right. So that's an and indication so they, that they, there was the a historical. And the two of them both made up competing different ideas. Right. Uh, and so, so those are things. So the next thing that we know is that the guy um, became a disciple of John the Baptist. Mm. And so John the Baptist had been this holy man. A lot of people think he was an Essene. He's definitely a... Um, uh, uh, a hermetic guy, a guy who is going off and wanting to um, uh, eschew the body and fast and all those kind of things. And so, and so Jesus was taken with this, um, with this holy man, and he comes and he becomes a disciple of that guy. And so, again, the Gospels are at pains to try to figure this thing out, and, they, and so they, at the earliest one, um, you know, like uh, Mark, he makes a, you know, he has John baptize him and then there's a miracle and God said, this is my son and this kind of thing. And then later, the later ones, Luke and Matthew are like, oh, I'm not worthy. You know, uh, John's like, I'm not worthy to baptize you. Why are you even coming here? That kind of thing. And one greater than me, you're one greater than me. In other words, they add this kind of thing, like John is saying that Jesus is greater than him. And then finally, by the time you get to the gospel of John, uh, John doesn't even baptize him in the Gospel of John. <laughs> you know, in other words, it's just too embarrassing to even include that. But essentially, what you have is he's a disciple of John the Baptist, and it's probably, in my opinion, that's probably where he gets the idea of running around and having a following, right? And and wearing so John, sandals and stuff. Yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> that's and important. So, and so and so John gets beheaded. And, and so then Jesus is off on his own. And so then the next thing, he, he however, doesn't do the kind of thing that John does. And so John fasted and didn't drink 
wine and didn't eat meat and all these other things, or whatever he did. He was eating locusts and honey and that kind of thing. And Jesus doesn't do that, and so people complain about it. And so they say, well, why do you, John fasted, why don't you fast? That kind of thing. So probably Jesus didn't have any of that kind of part in his ministry, right? So he had followers, he taught them stuff, but it probably wasn't asceticism. It probably wasn't don't drink and don't, um, you know, eat, drink and be merry. He didn't bother with that kind of stuff because that was what John was doing. And then probably, uh, so he's from Galilee. He's hanging out in Galilee most of the time. And then probably what ends up happening is he has a, he goes to um, Jerusalem for the Passover. He has a commotion in the temple. He is arrested and killed, um, probably crucified. All of his followers desert him and leave. He does not have a trial before Pilate or any of that kind of thing. He's just a regular guy. He doesn't have a tomb. There's nothing like that. He's thrown in a common grave or whatever, and nobody ever finds the body. All of his disciples desert him, and he's not resurrected. That's the historical Jesus. And and the the reason with the trial, this was another thing I saw in that lecture that I thought was interesting. There's... There's no there. First of all, the the depictions of the trial that are in the Gospels are very contradictory. Like well, one yeah. of them, he he hardly says anything at all, and the other one, there's this really lengthy discourse on uh, philosophy and religion. But yeah. but in either case, no one would have been there to to keep right. notes exactly, uh, no. track it, what they all, said. It's all added. That's like all constructed just... dialogue from from right. some other time. And, and 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 even like so things like where they're like talking about like how there's like a story that'll get added in. Joseph of Arimathea gives him a tomb and blah blah blah. That that's a that's an argument that they make after the fact, which is well, you know, like when in other words Christians are being saying, well, where was you know where was the tomb or this kind of thing? And so how does he have a tomb or how does a guy like him have a tomb? So they add that in as an apologetic argument, mm. right? Yeah, and so none of that happens. But what ha- what does happen is that people like Peter deny Christ and run away, and so they're totally discredited. But then, but then they don't know what happened to him afterwards, right? And so then, after he's dead, then they're like, "What would, what did this all mean? Why? What we were following this guy around? You know, what did it all mean? What happened? You know?" And so, and so that's when they start to. Um, you know, come up with the basic Christian ideas. So why, why do, like when, when it comes to Paul, like you talked about him earlier as being a credible friend of a friend of Jesus, knowing someone who knew Jesus, but his story about how he saw Jesus on the road, the, 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 the vision, that's not credible. No, that's a vision. Of course. Okay, so he had let a me vision. explain this. So, so, so th- this was another, like a, a Joseph Smith seeing things with spiritual eyes and the three witnesses yeah, and all that. History. That has nothing to do with history. That's a vision. So in other words, he didn't meet the historical Jesus. He met a visionary Jesus, and you can meet a visionary Jesus too. <laughs> was he, is that how he claimed it? Yeah. Okay. You, by the way, you can't, li- you can't read Luke. Luke wrote Acts. Luke has nothing. Luke didn't know anything about what was going on in... <laughs> I mean that that's that that isn't his, hardly any history in in Acts, but no. What you when you read about what Paul had, Paul had a vision. So he had a that doesn't mean he that that's not what I'm saying about about Paul. I'm not saying Paul had a vision of Jesus. That's how we know he, Jesus, the historical Jesus exists. Paul met James, Jesus's brother, you know, and he and that's a guy. 
you know, and so in other words, so there you go. I mean, that's that's the historical Jesus. That's not. I'm not talking about a vision. But you know what's interesting? Sitting here listening to this, and I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way. But like, I I don't care, and the reason I don't care is because the interesting part is what it's not, and and that's why. Like part of me is sad because Christmas is dead and and this is like ruining it for me, and, <laughs> and and all of this stuff is just like me talking about my my neighbor's life that's insignificant and and irrelevant to anyone who would randomly not want to hear it either. But it but that would only be interesting because if my neighbor was the son of God and like you know it's just it's just so ordinary and. The, the fact that it isn't the way that it that it was constructed for me makes me this just goes back to the philosophical like makes me want to just reject it all and not parse it out and know what really happened because because right. I don't care because it's I, I like the story and I'm happy just knowing that that's just a story and then the rest of it is like not relevant but I'm sure John it is relevant for for other reasons of course <laughs> well th- this is like this is why, you know, this is a hybrid con- conversation, right? Yeah. So the question was, is there a historical Jesus? Yes. <laughs> and that's so totally different from the rest of this question, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. And that's not entirely fair. Um, so, so I'm, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you about the historical Jesus when asked, and then, I'm gonna, and then if you want to talk about the, you know, what's meaningful in life, that's a different question, you know? And so, yes, fundamentalists think that the fact that, um, you know, uh, like a text that is, that is actually self-contradictory because it's written by different authors. So, we, I mean, it's, it's intensely self-contradictory. So, we know it's not literal in any way. And, and the fact that all of Christians throughout all of history have said, like I said, that it's blasphemy to interpret it literally. Right. <laughs> and, and, the irony. And so, and so it, you know, yes, fundamentalists want it all to just be literally true, but that's a problem because it's stupid. <laughs> okay, so I mean, uh, what do you want? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, Allison, what do you think of the historical Jesus? Is it interesting to you? I'm curious. Um, uh, not really. I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I I think that it's interesting what to think about what people have made it. You know, like what they've created and all these um this picture of Jesus that people have made because it's meaningful to them. So like John, when you say that the histor- there's a historical Jesus and then there's, and then there's like, how do you find meaning in life? And those are two separate things. I think for, I don't like to use generalizations, but I do it all the time. I'm sorry. I think for most Christians, I'm going to say they're not two separate things. I think most, right. You're right. Most, You're right most people who are religious, they tie those two together really, really tightly. And even if they're not fundamentalists, I think they do. And that's what I think is interesting. If he actually existed, I think it's just kind of, then it makes it weird. Cause it's like, well, it's pretty normal dude. It's just a normal guy. And so how did all this stuff become from just some normal guy that's that's fascinating to me yeah well he was a philosopher (laughs) in my view so this is now where i'm going to get off of i told you the the bare minimum that we can say that's what the historical jesus was right but the next part of it is and so like you guys quoted a bunch of parables and so the next part of it is in my opinion so this is not bart ehrman's opinion so bart ehrman who has a perfectly valid and arguable 
way that he says that he thinks that Jesus is an apocalyptic prophet. And so, as far as Bart Ehrman's concerned is, Jesus was predicting the end of the world, and he was predicting that it was going to happen within someone in everyone's lifetime, right? And obviously, that doesn't have any meaning. That doesn't useful at all because <laughs> um, that was stupid. <laughs> that didn't happen, right? And so, anyway, so and and Bart Ehrman has concluded, therefore, that it was all stupid and it didn't happen, and that's fine, right? And so, he converted himself from being a fundamentalist to being a liberal Christian to being an atheist or an agnostic or whatever he is now, right? Okay. And that's a completely valid historical position to take. Um, I don't agree with him because I think that he has, at, at the core of his feeling about why Jesus is a apocalyptic prophet, is that he says, well, John, was a, John the Baptist was an apocalyptic prophet, and Jesus' followers, like Mark, believed in apocalyptic, apocalypticism. But I would argue against that, which is, I would say, well, John also was an ascetic, and he believed that you had to fast, and you had to um, not just drink all the time and all these other, and have parties and that kind of thing. And Jesus clearly didn't believe that because he got criticized for that. But, but, but Jesus' followers became Christian monks and things like that who lived out on the desert and who did deny the body and all those kind of things. And so, I would say that definitely those trends existed through the whole movement from um, John to Christians and, and in between without it necessarily having to be Jesus. And so, I don't think that there is much of a prophet in Jesus because he's not predicting stuff all the time, depending on how you're deciding which, which, which um, sayings are valid. And so, as opposed to, let's say, Joseph Smith, who's constantly saying, thus saith the Lord, God, you know, and, and you should do this and that, Jesus doesn't actually do that often. He actually, in Hickson, never does that even in the uncontested sayings. He, he instead is saying, um, you know, he can you know, consider the lilies, you know, or something like that. In other words, he's um, t- doing parables and he's doing philosophical teachings where he is essentially functioning as a um, Greco-Roman moralist practical philosopher. But, but I, thought, I thought we established that that wasn't him. Like, no, so- that is him. But then, wait, but... But we don't know it. <laughs> I'm saying I can't say that, that we know for sure he'd said these things. What I right, told because you it's is, like the, the dream within the dream of this guy's brother saying it from this guy from 20 years ago, right? That's what the lilies is. What I'm saying is I think it's the most is. likely scenario that he said these things. <laughs> I think he probably did say these things. Is what I'm saying. But I, what I'm saying is before, when I gave you that bare minimum list, you know, that Jesus was born in Nazareth and that kind of thing, that's when I'm dealing with Christian mythicists, who people who are saying Christ is just a myth. No, he's a historical figure who was born in Nazareth, blah, 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 those things. But now we can take from that, from that basis that we have now decided, okay, he's a historical figure as opposed to a myth. Now we can try to decide which of these things is a valid thing. Okay, okay. And so, so I'm now, not saying that these sayings are invalid. I'm saying that there actually is very wide likelihood that some of these sayings are very, are very valid that go back to him. And those then, are... Go ahead. Is is that a crossover now from history to belief? So so you're saying, based on the history, this is where the history side of of my recap ends, and this is where my belief kind of starts to creep in or take over. In in so much as that, it's likely, and it also works for a, a uplifting narrative that that's that's good and, and for other reasons, and therefore you believe that that Jesus said these things as as outlined in the New Testament. Is that uh, an okay recharacterization of what you said or not really? Uh, I, I would, I'll, give you, I'll give you the, now it's getting an assist. <laughs> so, in other words, in other words we're, we're, we, have left, we have left the totally, totally grounded nature 
you know, where I can tell you, and I will tell you, in those, those things I said about the historical Jesus, I'll say exactly the same about Solomon Spalding. <laughs> right. Just to say, there's no chance of that. <laughs> you know, but then, but now, but now we're going to get, now we're getting to, this is arguable. And so, whereas I would say it's most likely the case, now we're getting where, now we're getting with the sayings, you know, into the, whatever, 50, 60, and then some of the sayings less than that, you know, zone, right? So, so can we talk about belief or is that not Christmassy enough? Yeah, you can talk about belief. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so <laughs> well, that was the worst segue ever, but what do you think of belief, John? <laughs> I think everybody um, has beliefs. I think okay. that, so I think that belief, what, what depends on what you mean by belief, but so what I mean by belief, when I say belief, is every, you have to have a premises or postulates, and then you have to have things that are based on those. So, if, for example, if a person is going to tell you, if Randy's going to tell you maybe that he's a radical imperialist or something like that, empiricist, I'm sorry, not imperialist, <laughs> empiricist. <laughs> and, and, and so, um, he's probably going to, you know, so he might quote a great Christian thinker like William of Ockham and say that he believes in the principle of parsimony, right? But parsimony is a belief. We don't have... Um, you, you, parsimony, we just believe that, 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 it, that uh, the simpler explanation is better, but we don't actually have, um, that's not actually, that's a postulate, right? So, in other words, we, so we don't actually have, like, how do you prove using parsimony that parsimony is, is valid, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really complicated nuanced example that nobody would ever think of but it's good um i, I i'm okay. just think- I'm sorry for bootcamp of nuance i'm sorry <laughs> i would just say okay so what you have to have even in geometry let's say in math which i hate using it math because math is not like humans but anyway and and, and and we always have these flaws where we where we start with math and we try to get to all of human experience because math isn't like humans but anyway so even in math you have to have we accept that a point is this or something like that and then and then you build from that to get the pythagorean theorem right so in other words you have a postulate which is belief and then you have based on that conclusions or probabilities that are drawn from that but a postulate is is now it's going to get semantic. It's it's not so much belief as it is like a a, a plausible or probable uh, uh, approach that you want to explore more and test against to validate. Whereas belief doesn't have anything to do with that, at least in the religious sense. Belief intrinsically can stay a belief forever and ever, and that's just fine. But a postulate doesn't doesn't have that status of just oh, we postulate this and then we're never going to, you know, really dissect it ever again because it's just a postulate. That's, that's how I see belief is it's, it's not something that you stress test all the time like a postulate. Does that make sense? I don't, I, I actually don't, I guess I don't think so because I think that actually you would stress test the beliefs. I think <laughs> that words. belief right. more is like a hope is how I think of it, but that's just me. I'm, I like the word hope a lot more than belief. I'll give you that for sure. Sure. Hope is wonderful. <laughs> but I guess for belief, I would define it as the postulate. Mm. And you would trust it. Yeah, trust. Yeah. T- no, no. T- test, test oh, is what test it. Oh, oh. Well, but I don't think that pe- I- I'm having a hard time like 
not using my own anecdotal experiences with this because I don't think that I went around testing all of my beliefs when I right. believe. So neither did I. You were a fundamentalist. You weren't. You weren't testing them to fail. You were testing them to succeed. <laughs> I mean, succeed. I don't really mean about it, but I mean, yeah, fundamentalism. Yeah. No, you're right. I was all of but... all of the, all of the Mormon definitions for these things. I mean, Glenn just had this thing where he was like talking about how you can't have belief and doubt in the same. I mean, he was like quoting the you know had the actually not quoting. He played general authority talks, which I never have listened to ever. And I, <laughs> when I hear these things, I'm just like, oh my god, what are you listening to? <laughs> It's insane. <laughs> I mean, I mean, of course you have doubt and belief at the same time. Everybody has that in the same, you know, because you doubt your beliefs. You test them. Well, mm. I guess, but yeah, now we're just going back to the whole. Well, I guess what is the belief? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> That's how I would define it. Well, and I certainly I like I your definition. And Google says an acceptance that a statement is true or that something exists. It's an acceptance. It's not a well, according to Google. Yeah. So we and accept what, we accept that there's let's say we accept that there's a point that exp, uh, occupies no space or blah blah blah, and then okay, that there we go. We have that accepted postulate, uh-huh. and now we're going to build from that. Yeah. I, yeah. I guess I just need to interact with more Christians like you because I I don't know what you're talking about. Build, you know, testing faith and and uh, building upon it and and you know challenging it all the time to see if it's really accurate. It it's it's more of a like you said a fundamentalist approach is is the predominant. At least again to Allison's point, my anecdotal experience. That's just for belief to be this thing that is what you're postulating and, and constantly wondering about if, and, and reevaluating and, um, changing. Let, let's, let's just... give a specific example, Bob, cause I'm getting lost. So a, a belief in God, let's talk about okay. a belief in God. That's the number one favorite pick sure. for sure. Yeah. That, sure. That's something that people uh, uh, would think of, besides, right? Besides umbrellas or raining, yeah, right. right? Whether it's raining. Yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> Japanese people always know. Yeah. I mean, that, honestly, when I was when I was writing that talk five years ago, that's that's the example that I wanted to give, but I I felt yeah. like it was too edgy to give in a sacrament meeting, yeah. or, or to, to even say the word "there is no God" over the pulpit. But, wow! But but anyway, so um, because John does have so, yeah. a belief in in God, so we could call that right. an acceptance. But I so, but I don't so think you're like like constantly testing and reevaluating it because it's it's right. like you you're saying it's an unknowable thing you're just taking it as a given and you're not worrying about it then you're you're kind of like going on from there but wh- whereas maybe bob what you're used to in in the mormon experience is that you're constantly patting yourself on the back and trying to reinforce this thing and reinforce this thing Right. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think there's differences yeah, because, there. But that's because Mormonism is a post-Enlightenment reaction to the Enlightenment, where the construction of what God is, is you have to constantly say, I know the church is true. I know God is the, this and that and whatever, right? In other words, because it's already a defensive reaction to people who are saying, I don't believe in God. Mm. And in fact, the Book of Mormon is talking about that kind of stuff, right? So the Book yeah. of Mormon actually talks about people who are saying they don't believe in God, and then and then oh, it turned out they actually are Satanists. <laughs> right? Or they, they ask for a sign, and the sign <laughs> right, is right, that, yeah, exactly. that God is going to strike you dumb. 
Right, exactly. So, so in other words, it's a reaction to the Enlightenment in this time period when people started saying they don't believe in God. Whereas, how many times did Christ say, in order to, I'm sorry, Christ, Jesus, how many times did Jesus say, in order to uh, achieve salvation, you must believe in God? Um, Zero? Exactly. Well, we don't, yeah. We don't so, in know. other words, it's not in. It's not well. Anyway, we don't have any record of it, right? But it wouldn't have been in there at all because nobody in antiquity was telling you that you had to believe in God. God isn't actually in antiquity or throughout the Middle Ages a um, a question of belief. People aren't. It does exist in the Old Testament. The the quotation will be like, "You have to believe that Yahweh is God," but the reason for that is is because what essentially they're saying is that they're saying that you have to believe that what this guy who had been just a little pagan god with a lowercase g is the universal God, right? It's a, it's a tribalistic so, claim, right? Right. So in other words, so there, so that does exist in the Old Testament, but it doesn't exist in the New Testament really. And so the reason for that is is that everybody, um, God isn't about belief, but it gets very confused in the late Middle Ages and the early modern period because Christians insist that you have to believe that Jesus is God, right? <laughs> and so you have to believe that Jesus is God because they don't really understand history and they. And we've already talked about the historical Jesus here. <laughs> and right. so, this is a problematic need or claim and everything like that. And so, they, you have to believe that Jesus is God. Well, I've already told you, Jesus wasn't God. The historical Jesus is not God, right? And so, that's, that already was a problematic problem, and it led to people going down a path. And, and so, in the Enlightenment, part of the whole issue was uh, a political social movement against clericalism. And so, because the clerics held all this power in the universities and everywhere else, um, this was the this was the most this was the social path to take, which was we're going to say, well, all the thing that you are defining and that you have power over, we're going to um, say no to, right? And and so we'll reject that. But all the way up until that time, God isn't a matter of belief. God is a matter of definition. And so, if you go back to um, uh, pre-Christian pagan Romans, um, you know, like when we were talking about even here, the historical Jesus, Je- the historical Jesus uh, was not born on December 25th. December 25th was after Julius Caesar um, um, fixed the calendar. That is the day, the Natalis Solus Invicti, the birthday of the Invincible Son, which is the head of the Godhead, God. <laughs> For pagans, pagans didn't believe in all. By the end, they didn't believe in all these little gods were God, but they believed in God. They believed in the divine. Divine, the divine was not some guy. <laughs> you know, Plato and Aristotle were religious reformers who were talking about redefining. You know, everybody's belief from these little forces, chaotic forces, or anthropomorphized chaotic forces has had emerged and instead we're going to redefine view, our views in what the infinite is what is causing all of ultimate reality to exist you know and so that and so that's what they defined as god and that definition has been totally variable ever since then including all the way up through the reformation and mm. so and so and so god isn't God, not Jesus. Jesus says God, that was a matter of belief. God is not a matter of, oh, I believe in God or I don't believe in God. God is a matter of definition. 
And so when you say, I don't believe in God, that is actually simply saying, I have a model or a definition that I've decided on for what God is, and I don't think that that exists. <laughs> but you could just as easily decide that you, that you have a definition that is something that you did believe that exists, and then you could define it that way. But what if you just don't know, and, and you're not sure, and, and saying you believe in this, or, and by definition means you don't believe in that, and it just feels, feels so authoritative for no reason. Like, it's just a human tendency to, to need to be that way, because I, I, I want to reject the whole pigeonholing of, like, you're because, in a corner, and do you believe? I, I don't have, because I don't have a fixed definition. <laughs> so, in other words, I'm not, like... I don't know everything. I'm studying like I'm studying constantly. I'm like listening right now to teaching company lectures on the entire history of Christian theology, and I'm just barely getting through. I'm like listening right now to all this Protestant stuff, which it's crazy. (laughs) But definitely, (laughs) when you're listening to all this Protestant crap, you know, when you're listening to Zwingli talk about, um, you know, whether or not we're justified through merit, obviously not, no way. All this crap. Anyway, so when you're doing that kind of thing, you're actually seeing, okay, well, this is where all this um, refuse that just gets cobbled together in the, you know, in the vernacular amalgam that becomes Mormonism. All these terms don't have any meaning, but they suddenly get cobbled together. But when you look at them in their context and you see where they're developed, at least you can see where this thinking came from. So, I'm not saying that at the end of the day, it's not fixed or authoritative because I know how to define it exactly. No, of course not. I'm constantly evolving my thinking on all of this stuff, you know? So, because you should okay. always be thinking and evolving. That's the whole idea. Philosophy, Sophia is a name, Sophia means wisdom, but it's also the name of God, Sophia, wisdom. And that's why Hagia Sophia is the greatest cathedral of the Roman Empire, right? Yeah. Holy wisdom. And so, I, love of wisdom. That's, anyway. I, I really, I, I love, and I think maybe if you just said love of wisdom, that, that would go a long way or explain that more because. It's just this is just another example of of you having to repurpose a loaded term and reclaim it in a way that is ironically not reclaiming it because you're just using it as it was used not in this you know twentieth century twenty first century fox news way um right. which i I can get from your point of view is super frustrating, but then it just keeps begging the question from my point of view like say wisdom or say some of those other words, but belief is just ugh, belief in God. If, it, if it's been co-opted and means something else and it takes you 20 minutes to explain how it shouldn't mean that, yeah. isn't that just well, exhausting for you? <laughs> that's why I'm very careful with the words I use, right? Yeah. So I actually probably didn't lead here with the word belief in God, right? You probably, you, I presume you... Yeah, you probably you are just responding to that us. Term, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I enough. did. Yeah, so it, from 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 John or from Allison, were there Christmassy Jesus types of things that you wanted to have that come out before Christmas? You know, for this. Uh, you know, like okay, even as a as a Mormon, Christmas never felt like it never felt Jesusy to me because I was a convert. I was an adult convert, and so Christmas always, from a little kid, you know, since I was a little kid, felt like um magical it felt like santa and presents and glitter and candy canes and and that that's how it always was for me too and i grew up in the church okay so and i don't know yeah i don't know how common or rare whatever but um i i kind of had to like adopt the idea that 
I, I had to insert Jesus into Christmas and it never really felt right. Like it, it felt like an addition to Christmas for me. And I didn't ever really like that. And, and so, um, I don't know the, the whole belief thing though, because, and now you're an adult and then the magic of Christmas isn't totally there anymore. Or at least I feel like you kind of have to work at it a little bit more. And like Bob was saying before, it kind of feels like it's dead a little and it makes me sad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I, right. I don't but if, want it to be what, what, you know what part but if like i don't understand that if if christmas was exciting and glitter before you became <laughs> a, a mormon and then yeah. it felt like a chore to try and jesusify christmas <laughs> why, why does the loss of belief in jesus make Christmas. And now it's exciting, glittery again. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, maybe I maybe I said that in in the way that I didn't mean it. It is better because now it's not. I don't have to Jesusify it anymore. But I think yeah. just being more of an adult and having my own kids and having to that I don't have the same magic as I did when I was a kid. Yeah, and you're yeah. more aware of it. You're more yeah. aware of the silliness and where it came from and what it really means, which is not a whole lot of anything but it's still yeah. fun and glitter and christmas trees and presents and no, tinsel. It, is. it is but i feel like i have to work at it more and I, and then it i don't know christmas is weird the past two years christmas is really weird for me because we stopped going to church like the sunday right before christmas two oh, wow. years ago so this time of year is sort of at first it was really happy because we kind of reclaimed it as what we wanted it to be. But then this year it's like, I want it to mean what it always meant to me as a kid, but it's, it's hard to get back to that because everybody else Jesusifies it. I don't know. I think there's so much about Christmas. That's not centered on Jesus. You know, you can watch it's a wonderful life. You can watch Christmas story. You can watch elf. You know, you could put lights up on your house and put a leg lamp in your front window. You know, I mean, there, there's just so many things about it that it's like Thanksgiving, like, Halloween. Yeah, every once in a while, one yeah. of the Christmas songs will be like a Hallelujah. Or, yeah, you know, Silent Night, and there's there's stuff in there about Jesus or the first Noel or stuff. But then you've also got Jingle Bells and Frosty the Snowman and all, all these other things that I don't know. It, that's true. No, I need. I I just need a good perspective on it. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I, I that's totally worthless in terms of the podcast. I'm sure. I'm no. sorry. <laughs> no, actually, I liked it. <laughs> well, I mean, like we were even just saying, you know, the uh, the the holiday itself has nothing to do with the historical Jesus. <laughs> so you shouldn't feel bad in any way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and actually, um, I mean, even in recent history, the like in the in the United States, the you know, in the colonial. Well, Probably even in the nineteenth century, it was a big drinking holiday, and they and, and it was only you know like reformers and that were able to kind of push the drinking off to New Year's. But you know, so yeah. Well, I am <laughs> so. going, I'm going caroling out with some some friends for work, and and they're like, bring your kids, and we're going to drink, and it's going to be a good time. And so I'm really excited about that, and I'm just really hoping that like Jesus doesn't come up, you know. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, he will. Yeah, because- and you still see nativity scenes in people's yards, and there are going to be. Oh, you know, one of my favorite, one of my favorite Curb Your Enthusiasm episodes is when they do the nativity. Have you guys seen that? No. Oh, it's fantastic yeah. because Larry David, the entire episode, he keeps coughing because he's got a pubic hair stuck in his throat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of in a bind. Yeah. It's Christmas Day. We have no manger scene is it a major scene a nativity certainly we don't have a nativity scene in my house i Uh kind of we had one but i ate it there were cookies and is there any way that i could i could get your group to go to my house Uh, you know i I, obviously we would work work oh great a donation for the church would be a capital thing fine Um, donation yeah great yes okay hey joseph let me ask you a question Mm -hmm. (sighs) are you okay I got a pubic hair stuck in my throat. Oh, that's unfortunate. I can't get rid of this thing. It's killing me. It's driving me nuts, Joseph. Driving me nuts. I'm not interested in your personal... uh... Oh, boy. That married, by the way, has quite the bod. What? Come on, Joey, between you and me. You and Mary, you don't feel like it every now and then? What do you do? No, I. you know what? We're leaving. That's it. Let's pack it what? up. We're leaving. What? Come on, Joe. I'm not going to stand for this. Don't Joe me. We're leaving. You will take Let's it back. Off. You will stand right here and take it down. Get Please. Take it back. Shut up, Mary. Get off me. Wait a second. Pubic hair. It's out. <laughs> but uh, so you you do have like the 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 Jesusification, you know, the nativities and the hymns and things like that. It'll it'll come up, and uh, yeah, definitely that was that was one of my favorite aspects of Christmas as a kid when church would be only one hour instead of three hours. And mm-hmm. it was mostly just singing hymns instead of hearing talks. And, you know, like primary, they do the little Christmas program. And, yeah, you know, there, there's things like that that, that happen. I, I used to sing in the choir a lot as a kid. My mom was the choir director, and so I didn't really have much of a choice. But it was always nice to to, sing, to express Christmas through song that way. And, and yeah, know, so there, there's, there's pieces of that that are missing, but I, I, I don't know. I, I still think I it's remember, fun for the kids to, to put on the show of Christmas. I like doing it. Yeah. I, I remember, Glenn, I don't know if you had this growing up, but for me, it, I, I remember like Christmas Eve, we had this tradition of like, you can open one present, but before you get to open the present, we get to read from the Bible, uh-huh. the baby story. Yeah. And it was just like every, all the kids fidgeting and like really annoyed, like, all right, get on with it. Oh, now let's read about it in Luke that we've, you know, it's like, really? Another yeah. version? <sighs> and then, well, just, you know, yeah. was the like present I- always pajamas? <laughs> <laughs> it was, was always like, pajamas for us. Frequently, yeah. yeah. I just feel like we have to come up with so many new we have to come up with traditions to replace the ones that we were doing really strong for like you know a long time and it takes a it takes a while I'm still fresh you know out of the church so it's going to take a while for me to feel so Christmas tree and presents and 
you still do all that though, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But it's like, I just need to to get some space away from it because it's it just still feels religious, even in my own house. Oh wow! I associate it with being, you know how how we used to be, and so and now I feel like like um we don't have traditions now. We have to start fresh, and that's hard. Not according to John. See, that's the difference. Yeah, well, art. We no, script, I really like we have a, about we have that. a scripture that says, you know, you you can, but you honor, you essentially honor your traditions, but don't be enslaved by them. Which is to yeah. say, we we can have all of those things, but we don't think of them as literal. So, you know, when I, you know, when you're like listening, I mean, I was thinking one of the things you can listen when you hear those Jesus carols. In a way, you can just be like, that's crazy. I mean, it's almost like the Ricky Bobby. <laughs> you know like thing you know which is like uh what is it um you know jesus lord at thy birth right so, you know or those kind of all of the different you know hymns and they'll but little lord jesus no crying he makes right yeah how do, where does that come from yeah i mean they, the, that's like the 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 songwriter has has created their own you know in the same exact way that the gospel writer has created their own thing the songwriter has taken upon them to say well obviously if jesus was a was god and he's a baby of course he wouldn't cry you know that kind of thing or 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 put you know put them in the same category that you put rudolph the red-nosed reindeer and you're singing about his backstory and you don't think that he really was excluded from reindeer games hey what do you say we both be independent together huh you wouldn't mind my red nose? Not if you don't mind me being a dentist. It's a deal. We're a couple of misfits. We're a couple of misfits. What's the matter with misfits? <laughs> by the way, by the way, when you watch it though now, you're like, oh my god. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Ranger, that, that story is awful. <laughs> you know, I mean, Santa's a bigot. I mean, he's horrible if you watch that thing. Because it's like created in the 50s or yeah, 60s or whenever 60s, they made yeah. that story. And it and it's just like, oh my God, Santa's awful. Well, but that was the whole point of it. it was, I, mean, that, that, this I know, was like but the, it's crazy, right? So anyway, it's good. That's <laughs> kind of like the, the, the Baby It's Cold Outside song. You listen to it now and you're like, ugh. Oh, maybe just a little bit more. Put some records on while I pour. Yeah, but it's bad out there. Hey, uh, what's it? It's great. Little cabs to be had out. Well, Rudolph, you're trying to keep the girl. rape. I don't know. No, but, but Rudolph <laughs> yeah. was trying to decry bigotry. It's neat that they did that. I mean, they really threw Santa under the bus on that Yeah, right, 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 right. (laughs) But they reclaimed him at the end. There's this great Santa character arc where he realizes that, oh, the the misfits really can have value and we'll reclaim all the misfits on the island. Like, I I watch it now and I think that the guy who wants to be the dentist, I don't remember what his name is, that that's like a huge euphemism for homosexuality. I don't know why, but I thought, oh, he he wants to do something different than everybody else does. That's what this is about. Yeah, I yeah. lost that now. Yeah. <laughs> so. so. So tell us, Glenn. What is what does heat miser represent? Oh, that that was that was the uh, um, the year without Santa Claus. Yeah, the year without Santa Claus. When it was in July or something, right? Right. I yeah, I wasn't as familiar with that one. I know, I know oh. there were a whole series that they did, and they did right. like two with Baby New Year. <laughs> And they did one with the uh, what are we the talking Easter Bunny. about? I don't know. <laughs> We're talking about the Rankin Bass specials. Yeah, Rankin Bass specials. The the claymation Rudolph right. stuff. Uh, oh, okay. See, John and I are in our forties. 
right? Sorry, we you guys didn't watch like stuff. a Garfield Christmas growing up. That's kind of <laughs> no. This was this is pre Charlie Garfield Brown. Christmas. Yeah. It's like pre VCRs and stuff when you like knew the night of the week that it was going to come on, and you waited up and you had to sit through all the commercials and stuff to see it on TV when there were three channels. Right. That yeah. reminds me. Did you guys ever watch the BC cartoons? No, I don't, that's the, not familiar to me. In the newspaper, I saw them. If that's yeah, what I mean. so so that comic strip, yeah, that comic strip got got made into a series of cartoons, and there were some holiday specials. Oh wow! And and one of them <laughs> has this scene where it's the it's the Thanksgiving one where they're they're having a prayer, but they can't catch the the turkey to have a turkey, so they decide to to instead. Um, make a, a rock soup okay nobody digs in till we give thanks thanks we must acknowledge the great provider that ain't you is it no stupid okay everybody bow their heads who's going to give thanks i will <clears throat> we are gathered here we are gathered here on this festive occasion on this festive occasion to give thanks to give thanks for these bountiful rocks for these bountiful rocks for these miserable rocks that's bountiful that's bountiful let's see where was I Let's, Let's see. see. Where was I? Um, I grew up with this cartoon and, and have like, it's just in my head. And, it, and it's just so funny because when I first went through the temple and a similar experience happened, I'm like, this is like that BC cartoon I used to watch when I was seven. <laughs> <laughs> so Yeah. Well, Mormons aren't prepared for that kind of liturgy because it doesn't exist in the very low church services of of a sacrament meeting, right? And then suddenly you go to the temple and it's all high, you know, it's all uh, high, high litur- liturgy. And, and your frame of reference is a cartoon you watched as a kid. It's just, it was really weird. It's like, what's, what's happening? Yeah. So there you have it. Is this what you originally thought you might hear from a religious Christian pastor? Okay, so maybe my setup gave it away. But you have to admit, you're dying to know how someone like John would define certain religious words in this mini Wikipedia we talked about. Or maybe I'm just dying to know. In fact, here's a short list of words I want to ask him about. And if you think you have some good ones, feel free to add to the list in the comments on our website at infantsonthrones.com. I'm calling it the top 10 religious words revisited, reinvented, and redefined. So here goes. God. Jesus Christ. Atonement. Faith. Conversion. Baptism, priesthood, salvation, heaven or afterlife, hell, Satan, doctrine. Oh, and Merry Christmas from all of us here at Infants on Thrones. Anyone for the closing prayer? Hi, this is Jeremy from Monticello, Utah. And I was excited when I found Infants on Thrones because I learned there would be awesome people to hang out with in the next life in whatever kingdom apostates go to. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com, and if you really like what you hear, give the Quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? So there you are! I might have known it would end up like this! Just think of all the love and affection I've wasted on you! 
Well, if that's how you treat your poor old mother in the autumn years of her life, all I can say is, go ahead, be crucified. See if I care. I might have known. Mum, Mum, some things in life are bad. They can really make you mad. Other things just make you swear and curse. When you're chewing on life's gristle, don't grumble. Give a whistle. And this'll help things turn out for the best. Hey, Always look on the bright side of life. The um, Pearl of Great Price in explaining that the um, facsimile number three where he says Shulim, one of the king's principal, pharaoh's principal waiters or whatever, is a, is the smoking gun for Joseph Smith in translation. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> because it's clear. Because in other words, that, those actual glyphs, it actually says there, the, as, as indicated by the glyphs above his hand, those glyphs actually have the name, which is the name of the... the, um, the uh, the the guy in the in the in the you know the Egyptian magic te- text and so and those that which is obviously not Shulim <laughs> you know and so in other words that that it's a book of breathing yeah, this guy Horus and that, his name and, wasn't it yeah right yeah like Horus yeah or something related to Horus yeah, right but anyway yeah exactly is his name and it says Horus right there and not Shulim one of the king's principal yeah, waiters well or whatever, they, you, know? you know they pronounced it. Shulam back then. You know, Joseph Smith was right. Yeah. You know, I just that's, anything so, that says he no, wasn't that's is wrong. Smoking gun. You know. Smoking gun, Gatlin. <laughs> Life's a piece of shit when you look at it. Life's a laugh and death's a joke, it's true. You'll see it's all a show. Keep them laughing as you go. Just remember that the last laugh is on you. And always look up. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones.